Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, a podcast with one host about one console, Xbox. I'm your host, Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of August 17, 2023, including Xbox implements a new strike-based conduct system for online play, Final Fantasy 16 producer wishes that there was only one video game platform. It looks like Embracer's failed investment funds were recently from none other than Saudi Arabia and more. On this day in Xbox history, in the year 2003, X2 Wolverine's Revenge was released for the Xbox in, in Germany. I think it was released in April uh, in the US, so <laughs> this is when Germany got it. Listen, again, it's the time of year where games don't really come out, so a lot of the games that are coming out, it's like small Xbox Live Arcade games or games that had already come out, but now it's being released in another territory, that sort of deal, but whatever. X2, Wolverine's Revenge. I actually am surprised I completely forgot about this game's existence because I never played this game, but I remember desperately wanting to play this game, and I, I don't really know what my excuse for never having played it was because back in 2003, my dad worked for Blockbuster, which, you know, when you're in 2003, I was eight, nine years old, so... When you're that age, having a dad, having your dad work for Blockbuster is kind of the coolest job in the world because one of the perks of his job was that he was able to rent movies and video games um, as soon as the store got them. So we would get, or block, not we, I didn't work for Blockbuster, but they would get DVDs and video games uh, usually to the store about one to two weeks before they'd actually release. And then employees could rent them out during that one to two week period. And then once the game or movie would come out, like street date, then you couldn't, then like employees couldn't rent it for the first couple of weeks just so that audience, you know, the general public would have access to it because it would be in high demand. So uh, anyway, regardless, I, I just remember a lot of like, oh yeah, I played that game a week or two early before everyone else did because my dad worked for Blockbuster and could, you know, pull some strings. So I remember when Spider Man 2 came out in 2004. On PS2, my dad rented it like it was like I remember it was like I remember it being so specific. It was like five or six days before the movie came out on June 30th, 2004. Don't ask me why I remember that date. Uh, but June 30th, 2004 is when the movie came out and I got the game like five or six days early. And I remember like blasting through it on PS2 being like, oh, my God, I'm spoiling the events of Spider-Man 2 for myself right now by playing this. Anyway, very, very uh, uh, unrelated, I guess, what we're saying. But regardless of the fact I remember this game vividly because I, I would always see this the, the, the box art on store shelves at, at Blockbusters in particular and be like, I want to play this game. Uh, but for some reason, I don't, I don't know why I never did. I remember it was on GameCube, it was on PS2, it was on OG Xbox. This is back in the day, of course, where it wasn't enough to just have a multi-platform game available on like PC, Xbox, and PlayStation. It had to also be on Game Boy Advance. It had to also be on fucking 
N-Gage, if you had a, a, a Nokia N-Gage, it had to be on... Or I don't know that this game was actually on N-Gage, but you get the idea. This this is back when these games were on every single conceivable platform. Hell, I wouldn't have even been surprised if it had a late Game Boy Color port or some shit like that. But yeah, I don't know. I remember weird. It looks like kind of like Metal Gear Solid meets like your generic superhero action game for, of the time. It's very interesting looking game. Obviously, this was the movie tying game for X-Men 2 which came out in 2003, but uh, yeah, I, I don't think this game was really a, a retelling of that movie's story. I think it was just a random X-Men game with cover art that was from the X-Men movie. It's a very weird game. Developed by Gene Pool Software. I don't know who the hell that is. I don't think they ever did anything after this game. Published by Activision. They did a lot of Marvel stuff back in those days, so shout out to X2 Wolverine's Revenge. I don't know if it was a good game or not. I never played it, but I vividly remember the box art, and I love Wolverine, so this is a... This is, feels nostalgic just because I, I think about I mean I grew up with those X-Men movies and I think about seeing this game a lot back in my youth growing up on well to be quite frank on these in these days mostly I grew up on around this time on N64 GameCube and PS2 because we didn't get our OG Xbox until late 2004 early 2005 it was very shortly before the the Xbox 360 came out it was like Less than a year before Xbox 360 came out. Before that, the only time I ever played Xbox 360 was at my brother my or Xbox OG was at my brother-in-law's place because he had an Xbox. And I remember I remember going to his place and being like, I need to play all of Spider-Man, the 2002 Spider-Man movie game on your Xbox because it has a special boss battle with Raven the Hunter that isn't on the PlayStation 2 version, which is the version I had at home. So I remember staying at my sister and brother-in-law's place one day being like, I need to play all this game in one sitting right now so I can experience this battle with Raven the Hunter. And uh, God, it's just stu- stupid as shit. The stupidest priorities you have when you're uh, when you're like eight years old. So... Anyway, shout out to X-Men 2, Wolverine's Revenge. Shout out to uh, Spider-Man and OG Xbox and uh, the good old early 2000s. It's uh, it's crazy to think that that stuff was 20 years ago. But uh, anyway, welcome to Xbox On, you guys. Podcast about uh, Xbox, usually. And it's kind of funny that the, this this podcast title is, is, uh, is named what it's named because I told myself today I was going to try and not curse a single time on this week's episode. Now, I think I already messed that up once or twice, but I am genuinely making the effort to try and not curse this week. Not because I'm trying to get a PG rating or anything, uh, just because I, I, I really do want to try and il- minimize, not eliminate, but minimize the usage of curse words in my vocabulary. Although, if you've been listening to the podcast for a long time, you know that there have been many attempts at this, many failed attempts at this in the very in the, in the past. So, I'm sure this will be just another fail attempt, but hey, it's always better to try and fail than it is to just not try at all, because then you're a bona fide failure, because you just consistently, you chronically fail. I'm a chronic, I'm a chronic failure, that's, that's what we'll say. Anyway, let's move on. You guys, welcome to the show, episode 220. I know that's not really much of a milestone episode, but for some reason, 220 looks kind of like, I don't know, it's an eye-catching number for me. I'm like, wow, 220. Like that's hitting me a little harder than 200 did. I don't know why, but anyway, uh, let's talk about the notable games coming out this week. We've got two that are worth mentioning for sure. First one being, uh, well, the day this podcast goes live. Oh, no, 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 not the day this podcast goes live. The day after this podcast goes live, Friday, August 18th, Texas Chainsaw Massacre uh, hits Xbox, and it will be a day one Game Pass game. So if you're looking for another one of those kind of isometric, what is it, three v one or four v one? kind of horror-based IP games like Dead by Daylight, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. 
Texas Chainsaw Massacre is getting one of those again, or not again, but is getting one of those in addition to all the other horror IP that are getting these. So this one doesn't really do it for me. Texas Chainsaw Massacre is probably, I don't know, it's, it's like the highest ranked horror movie on my list of I've never seen that, but I think maybe one day I might watch it, but I really don't like horror rank lists. I know it's a really oddly specific list to have because as someone who doesn't like horror, I really don't have much of an interest to watch much horror, but there are a few horror movies where I'm kind of morbidly curious about like, I think, I feel like I should just get some exposure to that specific franchise or movie and Texas Chainsaw Massacre is up there. Alien is up there. I've never seen any of the Alien movies. Uh, I know, Kronky, you're probably cringing hearing that. And uh, I've never seen My Bloody Valentine, which I think is a wolf. I'm, I'm, I'm referring to the 2009 My Bloody Valentine, but I think that's a remake of an 80s horror movie, if I'm not mistaken. But I'm referring to the early 2010s, late 2000s My Bloody Valentine. And the only reason I care about that is because I specifically remember my best friend in middle school and I, uh, he and I were going to try and go to see this movie, and it never ended up happening. And it was like it was like probably the closest I ever got as a kid to like doing drugs or underage drinking was I was going to try and watch an R-rated horror movie with my friend. So anyway, that's about as daring as I've ever been. So the other game this week that's coming out that I think uh, is worth noting is Everspace 2, the space combat dogfighting game. This is the sequel. I think the first one came out when 2019, I want to say. Uh, this game, the first game has been on Game Pass a couple of times, and now the second one is coming out. It's actually out already at the time you're listening to this. It came out on Tuesday the 15th, and this is not a Game Pass title, although I'm sure it will be on Game Pass at some point in its history, uh, because the first game, I think, has been to Game Pass twice. But this is a, a, another one of those, kind of like Texas Chainsaw Massacre for in, in, in respect to its movie. Everspace is, uh, you know, in regards to the first game. It's just one of those IP. It's like I, I wanted to play the first one a lot. I even downloaded it once, if you can imagine that. I just never played it. So it looks really good. I know people like it a lot. I just, just really haven't gotten to it. I know it's like it is like spaceship combat dogfighting, but it's like more complex than that. And it's got like I think it has a campaign. I don't I actually don't know too much about it. I just know that people who do play it uh, say really great things about it. And I aesthetically, it's really pleasing to me. So I need to get around and play Everspace 1, and then hopefully like it enough to want to jump into this Everspace 2. But yeah, those are two notable games I think worth mentioning for Xbox this week. And that should mostly get us out of the drought. Next week's a little dry as well, but then the week after that, I mean, it's, it's Starfield, baby. Because in two, two, two weeks from tomorrow, two weeks from Friday, the 1st of September, that's when if you get the uh, higher edition of the of Starfield, or you do the thirty dollar pre order bu- bonus bundle upgrade uh, for Game Pass subscribers, you can get five day uh, early access to Starfield. So we're pretty much at this, the finish line. We're less than two weeks away from no doubt what's going to be the biggest game for Xbox this year, probably the of the generation. I, that's actually not too ridiculous of a statement to make. No doubt, Starfield is going to be the most important game for Xbox thus far this generation especially with what all happened to halo infinite over time as it kind of just exploded and atrophied yeah i mean you think about like these generations tend to last six to eight years and we're already like in year three of the xbox series generation it's it's highly possible that starfield ends up being the most important game for this generation of xbox hardware so it's no, uh, it's, it, this is no, this is no, uh, what do you, what do you want to say? This is no tiny kin. This is no small time, little, little indie 
darling or anything like that. It's time for the big leagues. It's time for the heavy hitters. Xbox is coming out swinging hard, and I'm just excited to see what happens when Xbox gets a game that is just objectively phenomenal, and people have to reckon with the fact that there's a, a really, really compelling, unavoidable, just smash hit game on Xbox that's exclusive, and to watch kind of people squirm and and try to you know do the like the thing the wormy thing they do online for why starfield sucks even though it's just gonna be an awesome celebratory moment for awesome xbox gamers and more importantly more broadly just for people who are fans of good video games so i'm i'm excited for starfield mostly because i just think the game looks freaking awesome and i can't wait to try it uh but i'm also just excited to see what this game does for that shift in in attitude and in in just kind of the the way people talk about xbox because this is going to change the discourse regardless of what people say you know leading up to the game's launch this is going to be a big game a very big game i i I can't guarantee that starfield will be skyrim levels of of massively important and influential and all that i I don't know but i think there's no denying that is at the very least going to be an incredibly successful well-reviewed well-beloved enjoyed by millions and millions and talked about constantly for a long time to come type Red Dead Redemption, uh, Elder Scrolls Six style game. This is going to be just one of those absolute water cooler moments. Basically, Xbox's uh, Elden Ring, if you will. So I, I'm very much looking forward to seeing. I mean, man, Xbox really just hasn't had like an objective, undisputable W moment like this, really since. Um, man, what do you want? What do you want to say? Since some at some point in the 360 generation, honestly, it's probably been since freaking like what gears three or something like that i I don't know man it's it's been all it's been a long time so i know it's you know a lot of things could go wrong technically maybe it's a little um a little presumptuous a little arrogant of me to just assume but i will be very very shocked if starfield ends up being anything shy of sublime i think this game is going to be something something very very notable so we're getting pretty close to that. Really, very, very exciting. All right, you guys, let's uh, let's move on to the Activision updates. The oh wait, good news, we have none. <laughs> we don't have to talk about the Activision deal at all this week. Uh, another blessing. This week is very similar to last week. It's a lot of like uh, smaller news stories, but I feel like a lot that we could, you know, a lot of interesting stuff we could talk about. But I do before we get into the mildly amusing stories and kind of kick off our week, actually starting with Redfall and then getting into uh, my beloved Keith David. Uh, I do want to mention one correction, something from last week that I just had to address because Cronky would not let me live it down. And yes, it's an, it was it was a stupid, stupid mistake I made, and I, I apologize. Uh, I apologize to all who were affected, and offended, and insulted by what I said last week. But yes, I was wrong. Red Dead Redemption, the original Red Dead Redemption, never has been and seemingly never will be on PC. I just kept saying over and over again, oh, the game's been backwards compatible on Xbox and available through PC for years and years and years, uh, not realizing that uh, for whatever reason, it just seems like Rockstar and Take-Two hate PC. I don't know what this is. But for some reason, it's like Rockstar makes some of the most important video games of all time that would absolutely be right at home on PC. But... A lot of their games really haven't been on PC with the exception of, I want to say, GTA 5, and that's, like, pretty much it. Um, but, yeah, Red Dead Redemption 1 is is not on PC. It never has been, and with this new port for Switch and PS4, it is, uh, it's still not available on PC. So that actually just kind of heightens my, my, my point from last week a little further by just really, really under, underlining and highlighting just how 
weird it's been that Xbox has been the de facto sole place to experience, the definitive place to experience Red Dead Redemption for all these years, while Rockstar and Take-Two have just happily abandoned it on PlayStation, and, and PlayStation themselves have happily abandoned support for old games for, for many, many years. And, you know, Nintendo never had this game, and PCs never had this game, so up until this point, it's really just been like, you want to play Red Dead Redemption? Hope you got an Xbox. And uh, so, well, there you go. It even furthers the, the massive W for Xbox that they've always had this game now. does sound like I'm coming off a little bit early on this episode as an Xbox fanboy, but let me assure you of a couple things, okay? I'm not an Xbox fanboy. I'm a very well-rounded gamer. I like PlayStation. I think the beep sound it makes when you turn on the console is cool. I like Nintendo. I, I'm still mildly attracted to Rosalina, even though I can't really explain why. Uh, Xbox sometimes makes me frustrated, um, especially when they mismanage Halo, and I, I question whether or not they know what the fuck they're doing with that franchise. Oops, I said a bad word. That's count one for me. Uh, PC is cool because you can modify it and look at uh, dirty websites on the internet. So look at that. I have good things to say about every platform. I have bad things to say about every platform. I'm not an X-Bot. I'm a well-rounded, open-minded individual who very rarely curses because I'm trying really hard not to. So there's that. All right, now that I'm done uh, putting myself out there and, and, and making a making a plea for myself why I'm not an X-Bot, Let's jump into our stories of mild amusement updates, things from last week that we can expand upon, and more importantly, new things that we can dig into. Starting with Starfield, we just touched on it a little bit, but we got a big milestone update for Starfield as we near that final two weeks before we finally get our grubby little Cheeto-dusted fingers on, on our controllers to explore the uh, the solar system or whatever the heck it is you do in this game. But uh, Bethesda's officially announced Starfield has gone gold ahead of its September release. This indicates that the main development of the game has been completed and that the game is ready to move on to the manufacturing stage. That is what the term Gone Gold means. They can basically start printing copies of the game in hard cases and shipping the, the darn thing out to retailers to be sold in the coming weeks. Bethesda has also confirmed that players will be able to preload the game on their Xbox consoles beginning August 17th and on Steam August 30th. Yes, you heard that right. August 17th is the day this podcast goes live. So if you're listening to this on the day this podcast goes live, just know that you can download Starfield on your Xbox right this minute. That's crazy. Today, the game went, today as in Wednesday, the game went gold. And tomorrow, you'll be able to load the dang thing on your Xbox. That is equivalent to when I record the podcast on a Wednesday night and then upload it on a Thursday morning, which is just like, wow, it's so crazy to think such a short turnaround time. You know, it's almost it's almost like what I'm trying to say is the quality of Starfield is very similar, very closely comparable to the quality of my Xbox on podcast, which you should absolutely stop everything you're doing, tell your friends about, subscribe, post five-star reviews, and definitely keep out of arm's reach of the British because for some reason all the negative reviews I get are from British people. So please, they just cannot handle my humor, which is really weird because I thought the British were the masters of dry, sarcastic uh uh, raunchy humor but apparently they've gotten soft in recent years so please don't let them review the show I don't I don't need the bad press but other than that I just wow what a what a great bit of information there but no I mean this is this is exciting news man it's it's happening and they seem super they seem super confident in Starfield right they're talking about how it's the most bug-free game of Bethesda games ever been which is kind of a weird statement to make when it's like you you would you would hope and assume that every game comes out you know at least hypothetically or in a marketing sense, 
bug free, but that's you know they 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 wanted to advertise that. Um, but I mean, dude, this game's been in development for so long. It's been 2015 is when Fallout 4 came out, so it's been eight years since Bethesda Game Studios has put out a game. And don't say Fallout 76; that doesn't count. They didn't make that game uh, as much as they might want you to believe they did. Uh, it's been eight years between Fallout 4 and Starfield, so. It's a lot of time in in both dog years and video game development years, and so there's a lot that they've done here, and I'm really excited to see the upgrades they've made to their engine and the way this game just looks and feels next-gen, and also just to experience that Bethesda Game Studios classic genre, that that, that Western open-world RPG-style game that they make so well in this new and exciting setting that is way more up my alley than this, uh, than this like, post-apocalyptic 1940s Americana wasteland and or high fantasy dragons and knights and elves kind of whatever shit. That's number two for me. Uh, But to to see them take what they do so well and put it into this excellent, awesome-looking space sci-fi, futuristic guns, spaceships, aliens, whatever universe they're building here, I'm just... this This is it, man. This is it. I'm excited. I'm excited to experience... The fun I had in, in in a game like Skyrim in a game in a in in a package that is presented and aesthetically skinned to be just for me. This is tailor made for me. No one else. I watched uh, Pixar's Lightyear in the summer of 2022, and I enjoyed it despite the critical reception. And I'm here to tell you that Starfield is my M-rated Buzz Lightyear video game that I never got. Gosh darn it! So I'm just so excited for this game. And with that said, I guess we'll move on to. Talk about another uh, another legend and some some good news, kind of sad news, kind of morbid news, but kind of good news. And uh, let's talk about Destiny for a second. So VGC relays that veteran voice actor Keith David will succeed the late Lance Reddick as the voice of Commander Zavala in De- in Destiny. Bungie has officially confirmed Reddick, who voiced the character uh, since the game's inception, passed away tragically, or sadly, at his home in L.A. this past March at the age of 60, at the young age of 60. Now the studio has announced its plans to continue the character in Lance's absence, saying, quote, The passion and professionalism Lance brought to the role over the last decade was unmistakable and loved by all, wrote Bungie in a blog post. Lance's iconic voice led us to the most intense moments of Destiny's history and the most impact of our on our guardians, our community, and Bungie as a whole, and will and he will never be forgotten. Commander Zavala has has been central to the story that we've been telling since the original Destiny back in 2014, and we have plans to continue his journey. Beginning with the upcoming expansion, The Final Shape, Keith David will assume the role of Commander Zavala. Uh, crucially, Bungie notes that Reddick's existing in-game lines will remain untouched. So, yeah. Uh, Commander Zavala is my favorite Destiny character, so in a lot of ways, this one kind of hits home because... I like Lance Reddick a lot. I thought his voice was iconic. I like him as an actor. I love him in like the old Funny and Die, Funny or Die videos on YouTube. He's just a great comedian, a great voice, and just the absolute tragedy that the world's lost him. Um, but I also love Keith David a, a ton. Uh, Keith David's done a ton of things, but I think obviously the thing he's most notable for, uh, for as Xbox fans, will be he he's the voice of Arbiter from Halo, uh, beginning in Halo Two, of course, when Arbiter is introduced. So. Uh, that's definitely the the big tether that Xbox has to uh, Keith David. But Keith David's also done a ton of other things. I I know him well from uh, he was in the later seasons of Community, which is my favorite sitcom of all time. So he uh, even though those later seasons were kind of the rougher part of Community, he was a, a a bright spot in those last two seasons. So 
He's uh, he's in that. He's he's done a lot of TV, a lot of movies. He's done a lot of video games. Most recently, I watched him on a Netflix show where he was with Zoe Saldana called Scratch, and is a very sad drama based on a true story about a woman who falls in love with a man in Italy, and he tragically passes away. So if you want a tearjerker, I recommend that show. But also, if you just want to see Keith David be awesome, I also recommend that show. Uh, but yeah, Keith, Keith David's a fucking boss. He's, he's, he's one of those actors that just has an unmistakable, distinctive voice and he's just kind of one of those he's one of those like random actors kind of like how people feel about like Keanu Reeves where at least to me it's like I just see or hear Keith David I'm like hey it's Keith David I love him it's 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 him it's him it's like what what has he specifically done has he played like some action roles in, in some movie that made him super famous no has he um did he did he uh, raise a trillion dollars to help end world hunger and 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 save the lives of little children in third world countries no but is he Keith David, and is that enough for us to just love and adore him because he's fucking Keith David? Oops, that's three for me. Uh, yeah, and that and that's kind of where I don't know what it is. Keith David, just, he's just one of those lovable, likable guys. So I love him. I welcome him. Uh, if if we have to live in a world where Lance Reddick is no longer around and we can't have him reprise his role as Commander Zavala, uh, Keith David, although a very different voice in my opinion, it will be incredibly noticeable uh, that. It's not Lance Riddick, although I guess that's probably somewhat part of the point. Um, at least it's going to be someone we can love and admire and continue to champion uh, leading this excellent character. Uh, because, yeah, I don't know. that that's, It's kind of a bittersweet thing. It's, we're replacing an actor I loved with another actor I loved to play a character I loved. But, I don't know, it's just... I don't, I don't envy anyone who's in the position of, you know, whether it's the team at Bungie in a, in a position where they have to replace Lance Riddick, or if it's Keith David having to take on that role because it's just it, it's soon man I mean guy the guy passed away just a few months ago and I understand it's a live service game and the ball's got to keep rolling but it's uh it's sad and 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 just uh it feels it feels sudden and soon to just be like okay we gotta we gotta keep going we gotta we gotta find a replacement we gotta keep the keep the production of the of the next expansion on track so Good luck to Mr. Keith David as always rest in peace Mr. Ray and uh, to all who haven't played Destiny. Do yourself a favor, play Destiny. To all who haven't played uh, Halo 2, why you listen to an Xbox podcast if you never played Halo 2? Um, yeah, I mean, oh yeah, that's. I guess that's the last thing worth mentioning is Keith David is now officially the other tether. Aside from aside from Bungie created Halo and then created Destiny, now Keith David is the other tether that ties the Halo lore and lineage to Destiny in some way, shape, or form. So you got Bungie and Keith David. And then that 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 um, that meme picture where it's like the the two arms like clap, you know like clapping together, where it's like one thing, two things, and they clap together, and, they, and that's and that's how they overlap or meet in the middle. You got Bungie, you got Halo, or you, sorry, you got Halo, you got Destiny, Keith David. That's the that's the tether. That's the through line. So. I don't know what I just said. Let's move on, guys. We got to talk about Call of Duty again. Well, at first, I was going to put this at the very end of the show and just have it be kind of like a little not important enough news segment. The problem is the story kept evolving, evolving, evolving until the point where we have four... Oh, sorry, my phone. Uh, until we have four notable Call of Duty updates that we got to talk about. So that's the first reason why we're going to talk about Call of Duty up front. I know a lot of you are like, ah, Call of Duty, why, why are you always talking about Call of Duty? Well, the other reason why we got to talk about Call of Duty, quite honestly, is because I just like Call of Duty deal with it and uh it's my podcast and it makes me happy that i get to have an excuse and a platform to talk about call of duty for five minutes this week so listen i'm just i'm gonna play a lot of call of duty this weekend like i do every weekend 
and I'm going to have no one to talk to about it because everyone I know has moved on and grown, grown up from Call of Duty. But when I have my Xbox podcast and Call of Duty is in the news cycle, you best believe I'm going to make you listen to it. You cannot skip forward. In fact, I have put a slight... Uh, a slight modification on your cellular device that is going to disable your ability to skip forward a couple of minutes and you're not even going to be able to turn off the podcast. So you might as well just sit down and enjoy the fact that you have to listen to me talk about Call of Duty for the next uh, four to seven minutes starting now. Okay, VGC got a couple of updates on Modern Warfare 3, which is confirmed at this point. Uh, actually, the day this podcast goes live, you're going to get your official reveal that's happening in Warzone, but until then, we got a couple of leaks and other confirmations and things like that from Activision and various leakers and, and websites. So let's just roll through it real quick. As expected, this year's Call of Duty game, Modern Warfare 3, will have a public beta available first to PlayStation users, as has been the case for past couple of years. That's according to an Arabic trailer, which appeared on the PlayStation YouTube channel as translated and spotted by Charlie Intel. Prior to the announcement of Microsoft's Intention or intention to acquire Activision Blizzard, the company had already agreed to make another three Call of Duty games available on PlayStation and Xbox consoles. This year's Call of Duty entry is the last title that is part of Sony's long-standing marketing agreement, according to court documents. This agreement goes back all the way to 2015 with Black Ops 3 and has been in place ever since then. So, yeah, this is a long-standing agreement, and this is the last Call of Duty to be in that contractual uh, arrangement where the marketing deal and the beta deals and all that go to PlayStation. After this year, we should expect to see there be no more kind of favoritism on one side or another. It should just basically, you know, assuming all all goes as is uh, on, on course to go, Xbox should be in ownership of Activision next year. This marketing deal should be over. And if there's a beta, which there will be for next year's Call of Duty, it will probably just be available on all platforms at the same time. Ha ha ha. Suck it, PlayStation. But anyway, um, so yeah, we know that that is where we're at. So be ready for that. This is the last time we should see that, but it will happen this year. Uh, other news that we have to talk about, and, and this is why the, the story is big enough to, to mention up at the top of the shows because it keeps going on and on. The game also features a remastered version of all 16 multiplayer maps from the original Modern Warfare 2 from back in 2009, and these should all be available at launch. Plus, Return of Zombies mode has also been reported uh, from Charlie Intel as well as Modern Warzone, these two Call of Duty Twitter accounts and, and, and news outlets. Activision is teasing the multiplayer maps and the Zombies mode via mobile phone-based marketing campaign, which we don't have to get into all of that. Uh, but if accurate, and it's accurate, this means that Modern Warfare 3 will include all the following maps from the original Modern Warfare 2 from 2009. Afghan, Derail, Estate, fa Favela, 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 Favela. I never knew how you're supposed to say it. I think it's Favela. High Rise, Invasion, Karachi, Quarry, Rundown, Rust, Scrapyard, Skid Row, Subbase, Terminal, Underpass, and Wasteland. So raise your hand if you're super excited to play Afghan, Estate, Favela, High Rise, Quarry. These are, I mean, Rust, Scrapyard. These are some of the best. Terminal, these are some of the best Call of Duty maps of all time. And uh, yeah, this this one, if you play Call of Duty or follow Call of Duty in any capacity, you know that this rumor has been circulating for so long now that there's no way this is anything but absolutely true this is definitely happening uh, but as for zombies activision said that the game will include the largest zombies offering to date so let's get into what that means it will also include new open combat missions and campaign new combat vests and a perk system for customizing your multiplayer operator new tax stance movement and a new aftermarket parts for unparalleled gunsmith customization and more activision also announced a new hub for call of duty content saying that 
starting with Modern Warfare 2 and Warzone, and now with Modern Warfare 3 and beyond, players can navigate their content in one place with Call of Duty HQ, making it easier to select which game and modes you will play. I don't know if that's going to be for console, if that's just a PC thing, but we'll have to wait and see. Uh, also, the blog post uh, from Activision says that the publisher claimed it, that this game will be a direct sequel to last year's Modern Warfare 2, and this has been planned for years. This is not some last-minute, thrown, slapped-together kind of thing, like a lot of people are rumoring for it to be, or suggesting, or assuming, or accusing it of being. Saying, quote, on their blog post, our vision to deliver back-to-back -back Modern Warfare games has been in the making, it says, or it has been years in the making, Activision said. From the start of development across both Modern Warfare 2 and Modern Warfare 3, Sledgehammer Games has worked closely with Infinity Ward to create a blockbuster sequel in the Modern Warfare series, featuring the return of iconic heroes and villains alike. Information on pre-orders, rewards, bonus content, including the game's vault editions, were uncovered also by data miner Alex, uh, who published the leaked marketing images uh, that are now available online, which confirm the vault edition of the game. Um... People who pre-order the Vault Edition will receive one week of early access to the game's campaign, which is in contrast to last year where anyone who pre-ordered the game would get a week of early access to the campaign. Now it seems like people get who get the Premium Edition or higher will get that early access to the campaign, which is a little disappointing. Or actually, it's, it's pretty disappointing. But all digital pre-orders of last year's Modern Warfare 2... And, oh, wait, we, they're basically saying what I just said. And then lastly, the publisher plans to reveal the game fully... On August 17th, this Thursday, the day this podcast goes live during a Warzone event that takes place at 1.30 p.m. Eastern Time. So, a couple of things we can dig into here real quick. We don't want to dwell on it too much, especially because this is all about to be detailed tomorrow uh, when this podcast goes live. But that's really crappy, in my opinion, that they're going to gatekeep the early access of the campaign this time to people who pre-order the higher tier edition. I get it. They got, they got to make money, but also I thought that was a really cool tack they did last, last year where it's like, Hey, if you pre-order the game, you can play the campaign a week early. And this way we can kind of get a lot more attention on the campaign as opposed to the usual thing where we put out a really good campaign and people ignore it for the multiplayer. So I thought stagnating the launch of the campaign versus the multiplayer was a fun idea, but now that they're making the whole thing of like haves and have nots based on who spends the most money on the game i don't like that as much uh, now as for the other information i do want to just i i am excited for this game i know a lot of people are really um weary of this game because originally the idea was that it was supposed to be a big 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 year two expansion to modern warfare 2 with a new campaign and a bunch of new multiplayer content and then eventually that morphed into you know what instead of just making it modern warfare 2 odst let's just make it modern warfare 3 basically so this went from being an expansion to being a new game with a new multiplayer and a new campaign and all of that, which I don't have any problem with. The thing is, people are upset about this because they wanted that two-year support game and they, they, they wanted Call of Duty or Activision and Infinity War and everyone to be basically just continue to invest in improving and tweaking Modern Warfare 2 and just making it better and better and better rather than doing that thing where they abandon the game that's 10 months old to go on to a brand new game. But they're kind of doing a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B when you think about it because so much stuff from Modern Warfare 2 carries over to Modern Warfare 3 and then on top of that it is a direct sequel so you know, you know I get it. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and complain about Activision trying to make $70 a year on Call of Duty because they're they know they can do it, so why wouldn't they? It just makes business sense for them. But I also don't blame people for, you know, being sad that they didn't get that originally rumored kind of expansion year two experience. Because, I, I, hey, listen, I too would love it if Call of Duty was on like a two or three year release cycle so that you could really relish in one game at a time rather than just having to quickly move on every every 10 to 12 months. But, I mean, it is a business and they, it just it makes too much money to warrant taking a year off if they don't have to. So I, I get it. 
But I don't know, man. I just feel like the fact that you're going to have so much content from Modern Warfare 2 from the get and then all this new content is going to kind of warrant the price tag anyway, in my opinion. But the, the thing that makes me a little bit weary is this. The game is going to have new guns and you can use all the guns that you have from Modern Warfare 2 in this game. The game is also going to have a bunch of old Modern Warfare 2 2009 maps imported into the game, remastered, redone, whatever, which is awesome. But they don't mention anything about playing last year's Modern Warfare 2's maps on this game. And they don't mention anything about brand new, never-before-seen, from-the-ground-up, specific-for-this-game maps being added. So it feels like we're going to get old guns, new guns, and a bunch of remakes of old maps. And that's going to be the Call of Duty's multiplayer suite this year. Whereas I feel like the game's desperately going to need some brand new maps. It can't just all be remakes. So that's that has me a little concerned. The other thing that has me concerned is this thing about the multiple, the campaign where they're talking about open zone campaign missions, which sounds a little bit more like they were short for time on making these well, well-crafted, linear, narrative-driven missions and that they're going to go for more of an open-ended thing because they just have to throw objectives in the sandbox in order to get the game out on time. And so I hope I'm wrong and that this game ends up not being a a slap together campaign again that's my big concerns i just want the campaign to be fully fleshed out polished triple a a proper sequel to the call of duty we got last year because i really like these new modern warfare games for the campaigns generally i don't care much for infinity wards call of duty games but i really like where they've gone with these new campaigns and i just really hope that this game ends up not kind of stabbing that in the back and and, and squandering what they built so far so that's a little bit of an iffy moment for me. And then the last thing is the zombies. It just The rumors say that they're just going to bring back that Black Ops Cold War outbreak mode where it's like basically like um, war zone zombies. So don't expect your traditional round-based classic zombies mode. That's not what we're getting. Uh, I mean, some zombies are better than no zombies, I suppose. But also keep in mind, these Sledgehammer Call of Duty games don't have the best track record for having the best zombies, so I wouldn't get too excited, although I am cautiously optimistic to see what it's like to have some form of zombies involved in a in a Modern Warfare game, since Modern Warfare and zombies have never happened together. So, a lot of cool stuff, a lot of cool details. I appreciate that Lisa's is going to be a very different package for Call of Duty, but I feel like this game has the potential to really elevate what and build upon what they did last year with Modern Warfare 2, or has the potential to completely destroy everything they built up with Modern Warfare 2019 and Modern Warfare 2 2022. So we'll just have to wait and see. But uh, lots of new and interesting details surrounding this game. And I'm just going to remain cautiously optimistic, knowing full well I don't like Sledgehammer usually. They they make by far the worst Call of Duty games. It's like Treyarch Call of Duty games are excellent. Infinity Ward Call of Duty games are like pretty good. And Sledgehammer Call of Duty games are like eh, kind of mediocre. So we'll just have to wait and see. But uh, fingers crossed should be, an, at the very least, should be a very interesting year for Call of Duty. Because even though, yes, it's just another year, another COD. It is at least very different the way they're approaching it. So I think that should be even as even for fan for those who are not fans of the franchise. I feel like this should be a pretty interesting uh, year to spectate from the sidelines. So we'll, we'll see. All right. Last up, before we get into like the the real news and stuff, THQ has announced a new 3D South Park game called Snow Day. South Park Snow Day. Announced last week during a live stream event on Friday in the Embracer Group's uh, live stream that I did not watch, admittedly. Snow Day is described as a 3D co-op adventure snowpiled streets of fun. 
South Park, streets of South Park. Why did I say fun? All new snow pile on the snow piled streets of South Park. 3D co-op adventure. That sounds weird for a modern game. The game will be released next year for PC and Xbox consoles. Quote, an all new South Park game is coming in 3D. The synopsis reads, Join Cartman, Stan, uh, Kyle, and Kenny in three-dimensional glory to celebrate the most magical day in the young child's life, a snow day. Grab up to three friends and battle your way through a snow-piled streets of South Park on a quest to save the world and enjoy a day without school. According to the reveal trailer, the game is in development by, uh, being developed by Question Games, a California-based team previously worked on the first-person titles for Magic Circle and Blackout Club. Unknown team, unknown games. The previous two South Park video games were 2014's The Stick of Truth and 2017's The Fractured But Whole, one of the best names in video game history. The former game developed uh, by now Xbox-owned Outer World developer Obsidian, and the latter game being headed by Ubisoft San Francisco. This game looks, uh, it looks kind of budgety. It's kind of weird because with the the other two South Park games that came out in recent history, those were very, um, those were very like. Very much so labors of love, you could tell. They had Matt and uh, Matt Stone, Trey Parker, the creators of South Park, heavily involved in the development. Um, the art style was very much a complete tribute to the actual show. The humor was very much on point, and the games very much felt like making a very carefully crafted, thought-out, well-done video game that really does the South Park IP well. Not just like, hey, let's just make a game and slap South Park on it. Uh, and there have been some South Park games back in the day that were kind of that. I think about like that N64 South Park multiplayer game and things like that. So this game kind of has that feel a little bit where it's like we're back to that, like those like PS1 N64 era just slapped together licensed nonsensical South Park games. I hope I'm wrong about this, but it just seems like a weird co-op multiplayer nonsense kind of game and I, I really wonder to what extent the creators are on board with this game because if you're going to make a good South Park game I feel like it needs to have I feel like it needs to have good writing it needs to have narrative it needs to have good storytelling it can't just be multiplayer and that's it although we have yet to see maybe this game does have some good writing in it I, I don't know I just I don't have high hopes for this and the trailer teaser trailer while it doesn't show too much really didn't do it for me so we'll just have to wait and see on this but yeah, South Park Snow Day. I'm a huge fan of South Park. I think it's still a great show, um, and I liked the uh, uh, I liked the Stick of Truth a lot. Never played Fractured Butthole, um, but I don't know. I don't think this one's going to do it for me, so I'm probably going to pass on it, but who knows? Maybe this will start out as some multiplayer schlock that no one was asking for and then turn into the next Fortnite. Stranger Things have happened, especially the TV show Stranger Things. That literally did happen. Um, they made four seasons of it, in fact, so I can confirm it, it actually happened. So that's it for all of our opening news stories this week, you guys. Next, we're going to jump into the actual news of the week, but before we can do that, I want to tell you about the games I've been playing this week, go over a little bit of that with you. But before I can do that, i got to tell you about what I've been eating. Before I can tell you about what I've been playing, I can't tell you about the games I've been playing if I haven't even told you about food I've been ingesting because even though they make no sense like when you when you when you put them up against each other like that it just makes sense to me because I am mentally deficient. So, let's start out with what I've been eating. You guys, you know where I'm at. I'm on this kick with Aldi. I'm trying to save the money and I'm trying to honestly I'm making kind of like a lifestyle out of it and I'm having a lot of fun. Really like embracing the Aldi the Aldi lifestyle. And uh, I'm trying new items. You know, normally when we shop at Aldi, which has always been frequent um, as of really as long as I lived here in Florida, as soon as I moved here, a brand new Aldi opened up right down the road, like within weeks of me moving here. And it's just it was just always kind of meant to be. So I've been shopping at this Aldi for as long as I've been in Florida. And 
usually it's like I, I shop there for pretty pretty samey products. It's like I need produce, Aldi. I need chicken thighs, Aldi. Okay, we need to get what? Pasta, rice, some salad dressing, whatever. You know, it's like Aldi, some frozen veggies, whatever the case may be. But things have changed. I'm not going down the aisle, checking off the things on the list. I need, like, okay, half and half, check. Eggs, check. Butter, check. You know, I'm not just going down the dairy aisle and doing the thing. I am going out of my way to try new and interesting things at at Aldi's. And we'll get into it next week. I'm, I'm going to try their their Chinese, their frozen Chinese food. Because since they are the same company as, as Trader Joe's, I want to compare Aldi Chinese food to... Trader Joe Chinese food since Trader Joe does it so well and uh, so more on that next week I haven't tried it yet I have it planned for this Friday fingers crossed hopefully it goes well but in the meantime what I want to talk about is Aldi Diet Coke (laughs) now this is something that shouldn't happen I I shouldn't be here telling you about this but I am so we just got to talk about it real quick Aldi's knockoff soda label is called Summit. They use it. They have like a knockoff Red Bull. They have a knockoff Monster Energy. They have a knockoff Coke and Sprite and Diet Coke. And I thought, you know what? Uh, soda is so expensive these days. I just don't even. I just don't even buy it unless it's like a new Mountain Dew flavor, and I'm just gonna try it one time. I don't even buy soda these days because it is so ungodly expensive. We went from a world where a 12 pack of soda cans was like four or five dollars to a world where it was like. $7 to where now most stores I go to a 12 pack of soda cans costs about nine and a half to $10. I cannot fathom what the heck has happened. Please, for the love of Christ, do not tell me this is inflation. I'm sorry. I gotta get on my soapbox for 30 seconds. This is not inflation. Do not listen to your favorite corporate media. Do not listen to your favorite politicians. Do not listen to your favorite, uh, weird dude with swooshy hair on YouTube. Who's like, who's like slightly buff and tries to do the whole like man thing about being like the middle of the road political spectrum thing. Don't, don't listen to any of these people. This is not inflation. This is called price gouging. And it is something that our government is happy to let happen time and time again. This is not the price of sugar has gone up or the price of packaging goods has gone up or fuel prices have gone up. So transportation costs for, for, for grocery items has gone up. This is none of that for a pack of Coke to go from $5 at Walmart to $9 and 79 cents in the matter of, in a matter of three years is not inflation. Maybe a dollar of that is inflation. Maybe for it to double in price, that's not inflation. That is called price gouging. And it is something that's been happening in excess as of late. It's always been happening, but it's happening in excess as of late. And our government is happily standing idly by and letting it happen while they seemingly do absolutely nothing. Talking about Hunter Biden's dick pics and... Uh, we all have to suffer the consequences and pay twice the amount of money for Diet Coke. So anyway, I don't even like Diet Coke, so it shouldn't be much of an issue. But I, I just had a weird impulse to be like, you know what? The only zero sugar or zero calorie soda they have at Aldi is their knockoff Diet Coke. So let's just give it a go because you want to know what Aldi charges for their knockoff Coke. They charge $4 for a 12-pack. So I can buy, because Aldi sometimes has a couple of name brand items, and one of the few name brand items they do have is Coke. They'll sell you Diet Coke or regular Coke, either in a 2-liter bottle or a 12-pack can. Even at Aldi, a 12-pack of Coke is $9 and something cents. But if you buy the knockoff Aldi brand, it is $4. How the hell is it 60% cheaper to buy the knockoff brand. What? Does, is Aldi not beholden to transportation costs? Are they not beholden to the price of fucking sugarcane? Oops, that's four for me. So, just wanted to say, price gouging. Now, that being said, 
irrelevant. I went and I tried Summit Diet Cola. Okay, it's four dollars for a twelve pack. Worst case scenario, I have to suffer through twelve cans of really, really, really bad knockoff Diet Coke, which Diet Coke is already, in my opinion, a very, very bad soda. I like Coke Zero. I don't like Diet Coke. Lo and behold, Summit Diet Coke, or they, I'm sorry, it's not called Diet Coke. Summit Diet Cola is a uh, is better than Diet Coke. So it's $4 for a 12-pack, and it tastes better than Diet Coke. This is wrong on so many levels because, listen, man, I, I'm, a, I'm a Pepsi guy if I had to pick one, but I'm not one of those weird people that acts like you have to pick one and, and stick to it and, and, and kill the guy next to you if he says he likes the other one. Coke and Pepsi are both great. Don't get me wrong. I prefer Pepsi, but Coke and Pepsi are both great. I'm from Atlanta. I can't hate Coke, okay? They're both great, but Diet Coke sucks. Coke Zero, pretty damn good. Regular Coke, pretty good. It's too sweet, but pretty good. Summit Diet Cola, for some reason, tastes a lot closer to Coke Zero than it does to Diet Coke. Or maybe I'm just feeling that way because it's been so long since I've had like sugary Coke that even diet tastes kind of good by comparison. I don't know. Maybe, maybe my taste buds are all kinds of messed up. That could be the case as well here. But Summit Diet Cola. So if, you, if you're going to Aldi and you're saying, Jesse, you're, 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 you're simply a buffoon. Simply put, I dare you, man. Hit me up on Venmo. Hit me up on Cash App. I don't have Cash App. Hit me up on Zelle. Hit me up on PayPal. Ask me. You can say, Jesse, I went to Aldi. I tried Summit Diet Cola for $4 for a 12-pack, and I did not like it. I did not think it was as good as or better than Diet Coke. If you truly feel that way, I will reimburse you your $4. Good luck finding my name on Venmo. But, uh, yeah, I mean... So shout out to Aldi once again. Last week we're talking about how Nutella is seven eight dollars a jar, but two fifty at Aldi. Summit Diet Cola, sixty percent cheaper than Diet Coke. What is happening here? What is happening here, you guys? So, you know, if you're gonna end up rioting or doing any kind of protesting, I highly recommend maybe you go to your local grocery store around these parts. We call it Publix. Take your freaking pants off. Tie it to a flagpole and wave that crap around up and down the cereal aisle and say, heck no, we won't go to the checkout lane because these prices are ridiculous, okay? We're not doing this. This is not inflation. Again, this is not inflation. This is called price gouging. Drink Summit Diet Cola. Okay, that's it for what I've been eating. Very heated about that. I think I'm going to need a Summit Diet Cola to cool me off uh, during this heated podcast session. Crack. Mmm. Definitely... Definitely drinking diet, diet summit cola and not uh and not water right now. Mmm. All right, that's it for what I've been eating, you guys. Let's talk about what I've been playing, which is not knockoff Aldi brand video games because they don't have that yet. So until I can get uh, fields, field of stars or, or or ring planets or whatever kind of knockoff Xbox games they're gonna have at Aldi, until that day comes and I can get. $30 knockoff Xbox games. I'm going to have to stick to the real deal. So this this week I've been playing real games. I won't talk about it in great detail because I've talked about it the past two weeks, but I finished Homefront the Revolution. I, I rolled through the 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 real um, the, the, the base campaign, finished that at about the 17-hour mark, and then went back, and I, I guess whenever I bought the game, I got the deluxe edition because I had all the DLC campaigns as well, and there are three of, three of them. And so I played through all of those. They're all about... 30 minutes to an hour each. They're very short. I think it took me like about four hours to go through all of them just because I play a little slower and I suck a little more at games than most people. But yeah, I mean, I, so I've, I've played through all of the content of this game. I didn't 100% the main campaign or anything, but 
I played through all the, the campaign, and then I played all the DLC campaigns. And I, I gotta be honest, man. I, I really like this game. I don't have too much more to say about it. I, I will say that um, the ending is about what you expect for a game like this. It's not revolutionary, pardon the pun, or anything like that. But I really liked the campaign uh, expansions or the little uh, DLCs for this game because the first one's this really fun, uh, just little, like, kind of, like, Halo Reach kind of spin-off story about this other squad that takes place in the events leading right up to the beginning of the actual base campaign. So it's a really fun little Halo Reach style campaign, which I thought was really fun. And then the second campaign is like this, what happens immediately after you beat the actual game kind of little story. So you get a peek behind what happens after the credits roll. And then the third campaign is like, now it's like five, 10 years into the future. And here's where your squad's at now. It's kind of like the final push. You can feel with that last campaign. It felt very much like a, like the developer was told, hey, you're not going to get to make a home front three. So uh, whatever you're working on right now, make sure it's final because that's kind of how the last DLC fa- feels like. It feels like it's a it's kind of like putting a bow on the on the whole thing. But um, very cool. I, I like all the scenarios and the synopsis they, they, they came up with for these expansions. They, they're a lot of fun. The gameplay style is a little different. Like the first one's a little more stealthy. This, uh, the last one's a little more like um, is a little more of like a horde type mission structure at the end there and launching a tactical nuke on on uh, North Korea just it's, it's wacky stupid fun stuff and uh very very cool I like Homefront the Revolution a lot like I said if you're a fan of games like like uh like Far Cry and you're itching to play something like that I feel like this is a good kind of on sale budgety weekend version of that if you if you're looking for something of that caliber um that said uh, or, or another thing I will say, actually, some of the missions and especially the DLCs feel a lot more like like Metro meets Call of Duty. So th- the best way to describe Homefront: The Revolution is the base game is like uh, like knockoff. It's like Aldi's brand Far Cry, and then the DLCs are like Aldi's brand Metro and Call of Duty. So if you like these kinds of games, I I know these are very different games. You know, uh, Metro being more of like a like um like a uh what's it what do they call it sim more like a bioshock type atomic heart style game and and uh call of duty being more of like a military fps and then far cry being more of like an open world first person shooter with light rpg mechanics like i know they're all pretty different games um but if you if you can if you're into any of the any combination of these types of games i feel like Homefront: The Revolution might actually be a pretty good game. Just keep in mind, it's a little rough around the edges. It's not the nicest, most polished game, but it is a pretty fun time. So that's that. Wrapped it up. I'm done with that. Moving on to new games. The other thing I played this week is a little bit, not too much, of Quake 2. So, yeah, Quake 2, we talked about it a little bit last week. It was it was rumored. It was leaking. But here's the official uh, uh, little bit of it. During QuakeCon last week, Bethesda revealed a remaster of Quake 2, and it's out now. The remaster of id's uh, classic FPS is now available on modern Xbox consoles, modern PlayStation consoles, as well as Windows PC, and even the little old Nintendo Switch. And it's uh, it's on Game Pass. So on Friday, Kronky and I played, uh, I don't know, maybe only like an hour of it or something, but we just jumped into it, played some, played some co-op, and I forgot these games were co-op. I forgot these old Quake and Doom games were, were even co-op in the first place. And... I don't have a lot of experience with Quake 1. I played a little bit of it when that remaster came out. What was that? A year or two ago. But Quake 2, there's there's only two Quake games I have extensive experience with. And it's Quake 2 and Quake 4. And I like both of these games a lot. And so going back and experiencing a little bit of Quake 2 over the weekend was very fun. And I'm going to go back and play more and more of this. But this game is, 
Man, I, I don't know what it is. Quake Quake is my version of Doom. I know a lot of people love Doom. I actually like Doom a lot as well. But Quake is just, you know, it's a little more like it's that weird, like, quiet space thing. And then, like, the terraforming Mars thing. And then, like, the monsters. And I like that stuff a lot more than, like, the demon-slaying hell thing that, that Doom's got going on. Don't get me wrong. They're both great. But Quake is a little bit more my style. So I've always had a little bit of a soft spot for Quake. And... Quake 2 is just such a really, really good game. It's one of those games where you just look at, like, the the goofy little, like, um, art clips and whatever you want to call it, like, knockoff cutscenes that the game has and things like that. And there's just something about it that just, it feels so unapologetically 90s. Like, I, I'm watching it and I'm just, like, you just see the opening moments of this game and it's like, oh, God, it is 1998 right now inside of my face. Um, in, in, like, the most, in most, like, comforting and fun way and... I don't know, man. There's something about this game. It just exudes... I don't know. Like, there's something about, like, these old Quake and Doom games. Like, they are the most... They, they're. I don't know. They're, I, I guess I'll say like this. Quake 2, to me, just feels like like the most, like, punk rock video game experience of all time. There's just something about it. It's super high energy. It's firing on all cylinders. It's raw. It's rough around the edges. It's so much fun, and it's just like it's it's like infectious. It's like it's, it's it like exudes just like this cool I want to be like you energy, where you just like you see a game like Quake in action, you're like this is a game I just want to pick up a controller and just burn some time on. Like it just it's just it's cool. It's infectious. It's just I don't know. Like it it to me I, I don't really know how else to put it. There's just something about Quake where it's just so alluring to me. So. Playing a little bit of that, super fun, and now that I'm done with uh, Homefront the Revolution, I'm going to jump right back into it and just play a bunch of Quake 2 because I, I love this this stuff. Um, when it comes to these kinds of old boomer shooters, this is right up my alley. And they've got some quality of life improvements. You can hit up on the D-pad and it'll just show you where to go in case you're lost. And um, you can, all these different kind of uh, difficulty modifiers and things like that, so... We played it. Uh, the only other thing I'll, I will say is I, I appreciate how they kind of keep it simple with the remasters. They don't go too heavy on like trying to redo art assets or anything. So playing co-op, um, in part of my French, but <laughs> playing co-op is just a little funny because like you see the other person you're playing with. Uh, when I was playing with Cronky, and like y you look like a, a couple of penises. You look like penises walking around in spacesuits. Like the character models look so janky and goofy, and this is just of a time where games didn't always look all that great so it's just weird you look kind of like the thumb people from the spy kids movies uh like half thumb people half half penis and it's just kind of weird watching these little dicks run around the, the the world with these big explosive guns uh shoot shooting around at all these uh, aliens and stuff so that's quake too um but yeah i'm really enjoying that gonna definitely dig into to some more of it this week but uh that's it for what i've been playing you guys I think with that said, we've, uh, let's see, we've insulted the government, corporations, thumb people, and uh, penis-shaped people. So, yeah, I think that just about covers all of our bases. And now we can move on to the regular news, so let's take a quick break and do just that. Alright, let's jump right into it, starting with our new strike-based enforcement system that Xbox has implemented. The platform holder Xbox has a range of enforcement actions that they can now apply if players are found to have violated Microsoft service agreements or Xbox's community standards. From VGC, starting now this week, the new system will attack strikes, well sorry, will attach strikes to every enforcement ranging from in the severity based on the inappropriate activity the player exhibited. For example, if profanity or cheating is uh, is 
is reported, it will result in one strike. Sexually inappropriate behavior or harassment and bullying will result in two strikes. And hate, sp hate speech will result in three strikes. This, quote, the system is similar to the demerit system used in, on a driver's license system in many countries, according to Dave McCarthy, corporate VP of Xbox Player Services. For example, the player that may have received two strikes will be suspended from the platform for a day, whereas the player who receives four strikes will be suspended for seven days. Players have a total of eight strikes that they can receive. Once they reach that limit, they will be suspended from Xbox's social features like messaging, parties, and party chat, multiplayer, and other uh, others uh, for one year from the enforcement date. Each strike received will stay on a player's record for six months. McCarthy said suspected, suspended accounts will continue to remain functional for single-player experiences, and players will be able to keep their purchased content, except in most uh, in the most serious case, such as those involved in illegal activity. Microsoft uh, recently began testing a new reporting feature for in-game voice chat, which we talked about a few weeks back. It lets players capture 60 seconds of clips and reports uh, that to report that inappropriate voice activity on any multiplayer game in with in-game voice chat on Xbox consoles. Research published back in July by a nonprofit mental health organization, Take This, uh, the organization, organization is called Take This. Not, I'm not telling you to take this. Uh, but they found that 7 out of 10 players reported avoiding playing certain games because of the reputation of the community. Ah, that's why you don't like Call of Duty. Um, okay, so my only my only thing about this is, like, how, how will, will they respond? How lenient are they to respond? I guess how, how quick are they or likely are they to hand out a strike based on you being reported is it like if you report someone the old-fashioned way like someone upsets you in a game and you're like this guy's a cheater i hate this guy and you report them is that an automatic strike or does xbox then like look into it and play back footage or are we only talking about like if if you send in a certain video clip or audio clip like i'm curious about to like what has to be done to guarantee that they're going to look over the footage and distribute a strike or apply a strike to a person because I just want to know how easily this can be manipulated. Like if your friends want to mess with you or something and like everyone just uh, reports you for like cheating or whatever, all your buddies report you for cheating and then you get a couple of strikes and then boom, you're, you're banned for a week or something. Like, is that something that could be done easily or is that something that would, is a little more complex than that? I wish they went into more of those specifics because that's kind of my first reaction. But assuming that this is something that isn't, easily manipulate and abusable-ish, you know, something they can't easily uh, abuse and, and, and work to kind of screw people over just for the hell of it. I think the system is fine. It's a little complicated, but fine. I do find it a little weird that they, that like Xbox have to be a self-appointed arbiter of like ranking the hierarchy of inappropriate behavior that by, by saying some things are worth one strike, some actions are worth two strikes and some actions are worth three strikes. What they're literally saying here is hate speech is 33% worse than sexual harassment, which is like weird. It's like you threaten to sexually assault someone on Xbox live and that's less of a less of an offense than like I don't know like saying a racially insensitive slur to someone on Xbox Live. So like I, I just who's the arbiter of just determining the inappropriateness of one over the other? So I find that like a little a little weird. I don't really envy the position of anyone who had to make that I guess make that decision and implement that tier or that structure of of what kind of uh, offense will get you what kind of punishment. 
Um, so that, that's kind of weird, but other than that, I, I, I mean, I do get it. I listen, I get it. It's like, it's like being annoying and like blasting your music in the background and making your mom jokes. It's like, okay, maybe that's like a, a one strike, but then like, you know, s- hitting someone up with messages after messages saying like, I'm going to find you in the middle of the night and, and shank you. Uh, and then your whole family will wonder where you went and they will find you cut up into pieces in my trunk. Like, it's like, oh, okay. That's a little more hardcore than someone just like blasting, breaking Benjamin through their crappy speakers and 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 asking everyone uh why they keep getting matched in 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 shipment on shipment 24 7 so i i understand like there's different tiers of harassment or inappropriate behavior but i don't know i just find that part like a little weird (laughs) to some extent so overall i feel like i don't know this I guess this works. It's it's weird because clearly Xbox has a huge is, is is making a huge effort here to rework the whole system from how they how they handle uh, punishing people who've been reported to how you report and all the things in between. Which I, I I do appreciate that they're taking it seriously. They're trying to make it more robust. They're trying to uh, like enhance these features to make it take advantage of modern technology, modern features. Like it doesn't make sense why you wouldn't be able to submit like, Hey, look, this guy called me the N word seven times and then read my IP address out loud in the middle of a, a lobby. It's like, okay, you sh- I guess you should be able to record that audio and submit it to Xbox and be like, here's proof of this guy being an objective piece of crap. And they're like, okay, we got to do something about this guy. So like, I get that. I think these are really good features. I think it's good that they're able to kind of more, you know, with with more proof and certainty, be able to assess these situations and, and and dole out an appropriate disciplinary action. So like that's fine, but I don't know. Like I wonder, like are are these going to be are these working or, or what was the system like before that it, that it needed to be improved or like it's just it we see so little about like how these these actions are carried out and to what extent Xbox has been successful in like snuffing out trolls and and, and harassing players and things like that and I just want to know like what kind of difference are these things making I know Xbox isn't going to they're probably not going to have some like Q2 investors call where they're like oh yeah in Q2 2024 we uh we snuffed out 13% more uh, trolls in Modern Warfare lobbies uh, than in Q1. Like, so we're not going to get this data, but I am curious to know like how, how these new implementations help or don't help the situation. And to what extent it's really been that bad, because I, I will say as someone who plays a lot of Halo and Call of Duty and multiplayer games like this, like I don't, I don't hear a lot of this kind of stuff anymore. I feel like these, I mean, no doubt these things do happen, of course, but I feel like in a lot of ways this kind of behavior and this kind of occurrence is far less common today than it used to be back in the day. Although I don't know who knows what those kids are saying over on Roblox and Fortnite. So I'm not playing this game. So maybe that's why I'm not seeing this kind of behavior, but I don't know. I listen, I'm a fan of trying new things to try and make Xbox a, a fairer and less toxic place for players. And I think that's cool. Obviously these, these measures are driven more than anything to try and, retain and then grow player engagement or yeah player engagement with these games and if if you can encourage people and make people feel comfortable and safe putting on a headset and talking to randoms then i think you can help drive that engagement and dedication to playing on specific video games which will in turn increase player engagement on your platform and on your console and and make players want to play more addictive multiplayer games and so at the end of the day it's not you know this isn't altruistic there's 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 a a motive for xbox here they want to drive engagement and user feature usage and engagement in 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 terms of voice chat services and online multiplayer lobbies and all these things so they're trying they're trying to tweak these numbers i'm sure what's really happening here is 
Microsoft is just watching the amount of people who engage in multiplayer chat and things like that dwindle and just drop dramatically. And they're like, we got to try and save these features. And that's probably why they're attacking this more than anything. And then on top of that, you know, Microsoft tries to be a little bit more socially conscious and, and you know, they're, they're very big on trying to build an inclusive environment and, and things like that, which is, which is awesome. And, and that this is probably a little bit of, a little bit of both of those things, but I would assume that's really the main driving force behind this is that they're just trying to, retain and grow player engagement and if you can get players to want to play your platform online and maybe put on the headset and talk to randoms then you might have a, a good way of getting them hooked in a little listen I, I definitely played a little bit more halo and call of duty back in the day when i was chatting with my friends or in lobbies goofing around with random people um, a lot more than i do these days these days when i play an online game uh, I definitely sure as hell don't have a headset on and I'm listening to a podcast out of my phone speaker while I turn off my brain and, and, and shoot and shoot random people on Call of Duty. So I get it. They're just trying to they're just trying to bring back that engagement or maintain that engagement. So I just I guess it's like I'm just curious about these features and I feel like we're never gonna know how they are or aren't working. I guess that's kind of like my only like oh man, that's that's too bad. All right, next up, let's talk about Final Fantasy's producer. I don't know why we're why I put this in here other than I just thought it was really interesting, although it's kinda only like maybe half related, but I, I still think it, it proved it, it I still think it, 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 it calls for some cre some interesting conversation, which is that uh, Final Fantasy 16 producer uh, Naoki Yoshida has said that he believes it would be better if there was just one single video game platform. According to IGN's uh, interview with Taiwanese YouTube channel, or sorry, IGN's translation of an interview with the Taiwanese YouTube channel, Yoshida said that, that it would be better for developers and players alike if there weren't competing console platforms, saying, quote, Game platforms, I probably shouldn't say this, but I wish there was only one, he reportedly said. It would be better for both developers and players. Sony and Microsoft have both secured the number, uh, a number of third-party titles, console-exclusive uh, console exclusive games over the years. One of the most notable examples is this year, PlayStation making Square Enix's Final Fantasy XVI exclusive for uh, PlayStation, excluding it from Xbox. Square Enix announced last month that Final Fantasy XIV, which Yoshida directed, will finally hit Xbox consoles next year following a decade of PlayStation console exclusivity. Final Fantasy XVI was released on PS5 in June, and Square Enix had confirmed that it will remain exclusive to Sony's console for at least the remainder of the calendar year. Prior to the game's release, Yoshida said that he'd like to see PC versions of the game's release eventually, saying, quote, First of all, it is true that Final Fantasy XVI is a six-month limited time exclusive for PS5. He told PlayStation Blog. However, it's a completely different story that the PC version will be released in half a year. I'll make it clear, but the PC version will not come out in half a year. This is because we spent a lot of time and money optimizing the PS5 platform to deliver the best gaming experience. Of course, I'd like to put it on PC at some point so that everyone can play as many games as possible. However, even when we start optimizing for PC versions after the PS5 version comes out, we won't be able to optimize it in half a year. So it won't come out in that short of a, of a time span. I would like to release it eventually, and I will think, uh, and I think I will, but I am not at a stage where I can say when just yet. So this is interesting stuff. I, there's a lot of different ways you can take this. So first of all, let's just talk about the time exclusivity thing. He's saying... The legal deal Sony struck with Square Enix says that Final Fantasy, Final Fantasy 16 will be exclusive to PlayStation for six months at least. That Square Enix cannot put that game on another platform until the game is six months old or six months from its release on, or you know, six months removed from its PlayStation 5 release. So that's what the legal contract says. But what he's saying is 
that's great, but we we six months isn't enough time for us to get the game going on PC or other platforms. So don't expect to see six month exclusivity doesn't mean the game will be on other platforms in six months. It just means it can legally be on other platforms in six months. It will take us longer, and we'll have more to say about that later. That's what he's saying. So obviously, Final Fantasy 16 is a game that will come to PC. I have no doubt about that. And if I ever play this game, which I'm kind of interested in giving it a try, PC is obviously the place to play it. Uh, but notice how it's just they don't say anything about Xbox, kind of like with Final Fantasy VII Remake. Eventually it did come to PC, but they just don't say anything about Xbox. And so, I, again, it's like that that quiet part loud where it's just like, this game's never coming to Xbox, is it? But the, the other thing I want to talk about is just his whole, like, I wish there was only one platform. It would be better for developers and players. No doubt, I do think it would be better for developers. Absolutely. Developing a game for only one skew of console would allow you to really focus on what matters most, which is crafting an excellent game rather than optimizing for a bunch of platforms. And it would also give you the expertise to really know one platform inside and out to its fullest, helping you to get the most mileage out of your your engine and your technical capabilities and skills to be able to make the most the best running, most attractive looking game you could possibly make. Of course, it, I, I agree completely. If, if there was only one video game platform, that would be very beneficial to developers. However, I don't think it would be very beneficial to consumers. And in some ways, it wouldn't be beneficial to developers. Just to be fair, I, I, I think he's, he's speaking in a very limited, um, like pie in the sky ideal way. He's not saying like competition is bad and I don't support competition and I wish that there was only one brand to rule it all. I don't think that's what he's saying at all. I think, I think what he's just saying is it would be so easy for developers if they only had to worry about one skew of the game and it would be so easy for players if they didn't have to fight and bicker and, and feel like they're missing out or, or not getting something just because they invested in the wrong platform. You know, when you buy an Xbox, you might be excited about Starfield and Halo, but it sucks that you're not going to get Final Fantasy because of a deal PlayStation worked out. And if you're on PlayStation, it sucks that you can't play Starfield because Microsoft bought Bethesda during development. And and that's really what he's saying about players, I, I think. And that's me kind of reading between the lines, but I, I am sure that that is what he means to say, is that it would be great for developers because they could just go gung-ho on one platform, and it would be great for consumers because it would eliminate console wars and eliminate the kind of fear of missing out and the fear of, like, did I invest in the wrong platform because all games would just be in one place, and so you'd be able to access every game. That's what he's talking about. But of course, this is going to be interpreted and, and mis misinterpreted and mis uh, misrepresented in a million different ways. And so I feel like we should just kind of address the elephant in the room with that, which is, of course, in practicality, we don't want there to be just one platform. Not because PlayStation's evil or Xbox is evil or this one's better than that one, but because... We, I mean, we see it happen in everything. The more you consolidate a market, the objectively worse everything becomes. It's like why we don't want Microsoft buying Activision and Embracer buying all the other companies and Tencent buying all the other companies. And we don't want Disney buying 20th Century Fox and freaking National Geographic. It's why we don't want uh, all the freaking telecommunication companies and all the internet providers and all these things like buying up all the media companies and crap. We don't, we don't want any of this stuff because what happens is these companies become bloated. They become too big. They become unable to run efficiently. They become unable to meet the needs of the consumer and they start to become less pro-consumer as they monopolize, slowly monopolize the industry. So that's not a good thing. You want competition. You want there to be Nintendo and PlayStation and PC and Steam versus Epic Game Store versus whatever platform you want to use within the uh, um, ecosystem, the PC ecosystem. And then, of course, Xbox. You want all these different platforms, mobile, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Because the more places there are to play, 
the more these different players have to be competitive with one another. The more Xbox has to think and twist themselves into different ways and do things like Game Pass or a, a superior online service because how else are they going to stand apart from PlayStation? And Nintendo has to lean into weird, quirky motion controls and family-friendly games and games that are just so gameplay-oriented and don't really focus on all the other details because if they try to play PlayStation's game of making sad dad visually realistic games, they'll they'll get their lunch eaten by PlayStation. If PlayStation tries to make Zelda or Mario, they'll get their lunch eaten because they can't do that. And everyone's got their strengths and weaknesses and everyone's got what they bring to the table. And the more options there are for consumers, the more diverse the options will be for consumers to enjoy, the more different types of games and different platform features and different pros and cons and benefits. And yeah, it sucks. It comes with the territory. If you're going to have more options, it means not everyone's going to win 100 times out of 100. If you have 20 different car manufacturers, it means not every car is going to have the same features. But if you have 20 different car manufacturers, you got a lot more variety, a lot more creativity, and a lot more competition than if you have one car manufacturer. So, of course, you know, this sounds like Jesse's, Jesse's pro-capitalist uh, <laughs> conversation of the week or something like that. But what I really just mean to say is, of, co- of course, the, the, the variety of the player choice is important in the multiple platforms. I would rather a world where my Xbox doesn't grant me access to Final Fantasy VII as much as I want to play Final Fantasy VII, but the existence of Xbox guarantees a more competitive and diverse and creative gaming space as a whole because Xbox is different from PlayStation, is different from Nintendo, go on, so on and so on. So, you know, it's the, the cons are worth the pros. Kind of like how, um, you know, the phone space was just objectively better when Windows Phone existed because... Windows Phone's UI was superior and the phone designs were superior and the phones were superior and the accessories were more creative and innovative and and superior. And then the market said, hey, we don't like choice. We don't like creativity. We just all want to have a blue bubble so that our friends don't make fun of us. And then we all bought iPhone and now Android's this weird black sheep, even though it's technically bigger than iPhone and Windows Phone doesn't exist. We all pick on each other. And the reality of the situation is there's no reason to have loyalty to a phone brand because they all suck now because there's no Windows phone. And so, again, yet again, 220 episodes in, Xbox On has come to the same conclusion that we've come to since episode one of the podcast, which is video games are dumb, politics are dumb, pools are dumb, swimming pools are dumb, girls are dumb, uh, cars are dumb, jobs are dumb, careers are dumb, education is dumb, Windows phone is awesome, and it's, it's a crying shame. Life is borderline not worth living because we don't have windows phone but at least we still have kitty cats so that's uh the consent i feel like that's always the consensus we reach in this podcast it's always everything's dumb except windows phone and cats so yeah i don't know i thought i I just think it's an interesting thing to point out i want to kind of like do the pr straightening out for mr yoshida just because you you know he's going to get eaten alive for that statement by it being misconstrued i can just already see those weird like those weird like console fanboy 38-year-old men on YouTube who are going to be like, Naoki Yoshida, the PlayStation pony, is out here saying he wishes Xbox never existed. But me and my awesome friends who are also in their late 30s and really love Xbox and actually don't play video games but spend all day talking about PR shit for Xbox on Twitter, Oop, that's five for me, uh, are here to say, Mr. Yoshida, you can keep your crappy Final Fantasy games on PlayStation Xbox fans will continue to enjoy a wonderful selection of excellent first-party content, including the following. And then they post those weird pictures that those Xbox fan accounts post where it's like, it looks like an Xbox PR splash screen of games coming to Xbox, but it's actually just a man in his 30s spending time on on, um, on Photoshop doing 
Xbox's marketing teams work for them because I, they they're that loyal to the brand and that invested in the success of Microsoft. Uh, but yeah, just to get in front of that, you know, man, I just the only other thing I draw from this story is just that Final Fan- Final Fantasy 16 that that thing's coming to PC probably in about a year year and a half, but it's not coming to Xbox. That makes me so sad, dude. I would give up Final Fantasy 14 so fast. Think about it. Xbox got Final Fantasy 13. Now it's getting Final Fantasy 14. It got 15. These are all the Final Fantasy games I don't care about. Just give me 7 Remake and 16 because these are the ones I actually want to try. I swear Square Enix is out just to get me. It's it's me. It's because because they're a bunch of freaking iPhone users. They hate Windows Phone. And that's why they're doing it. That's what they're doing here. All right. Let's talk about um, Embracer Group. So we talked about very, very briefly maybe two or three months ago. Embracer Group was trying to round up $2 billion in investment to help sustain their unsustainable growth as a mega publisher. And that money fell through. And we didn't know who that that funder was, where that mystery money was coming from. But now we do. So from VGC, the Saudi Arabian government-funded f- uh, Savvy Games Group was reportedly the mystery party that was that had pulled out last minute of a $2 billion partnership with Embracer Group. The Swedish company announced that in May that a major deal had fallen through unexpectedly at the last minute, causing it to slash its earning forecast, but it didn't reveal who that partner was. Axios reportedly learned that the identity of the count, uh, counterparty uh, for several, from several sources said to be familiar with the deal, although they weren't able to confirm with Savvy backed, when Savvy backed out. Sorry, they were not able to confirm why Savvy backed out of the planned partnership. According to Embracer CEO's Lar- uh, CEO Lars Wingford, uh, Lar- Lars Wingfors, a partnership collapsed following seven months of negotiations. The company said the deal would have included over $2 billion in contracted development revenues over a six-year period. Savvy acquired an 8.1% stake in Embracer, for $1 billion in June last year. The Swedish company owns the entertainment rights for Lord of the Rings, as well as the popular gaming franchises like Tomb Raider and Borderlands, although it's not even using Tomb Raider. It's, it's licensing it out to Amazon because they, they're good at business. Trust me. Embracer, which is due to report its first quarter earnings on August 17th, the day this podcast goes live, no doubt, uh, announced that in June it's restructuring its plan, which would see some game studios closed and some projects canceled. We talked about that the weeks following this news that, Certain people were going to be losing their jobs, although they would try to find new positions for as many people as possible and do some restructuring. So no doubt this is going to be some unfortunate news with with how this plays out. Savvy was established, those unfamiliar, Savvy Games Group was established using Public Investment Fund, or PIF, by the Sovereign Wealth Fund of Saudi Arabia that is central to Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman's goal of making the country's economy less reliant on proceeds from oil as they start to destroy the freaking planet and drain the ground of all of its oil resources. The PIF has also been used to make significant investments in Nintendo, Electronic Arts, Take-Two, and Activision Blizzard, although the Activision Blizzard money should be going back to them because part of Microsoft's buyout of Activision Blizzard is, is, is well, that's an all stock buyout so they have to buy out the investors of all their stock because activision blizzard will be delisted and then absorbed into microsoft so activision if you want to buy activision blizzard stock in the future buy microsoft stock so microsoft will actually have to pay the pif 
tons and tons of money, millions and millions of dollars to buy back their Activision stock. So soon Activision Blizzard will not technically have any investment funds from the Saudi Arabian, Saudi Arabian government. However, they will become even wealthier as a result of Microsoft buying Activision Blizzard. So yay aren't uh, uh isn't 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 the isn't the free market awesome isn't isn't the stock market awesome isn't it awesome how terrible people always get wealthier uh it is reported last last day here it was reported last september that the savvy games group planned to invest a further 37.8 billion dollars in games uh in terms of acquisitions including around 13 billion dollars to acquire a leading game publisher although that publisher was never uh, revealed we still don't know kind of where it's at with that but you can bet your bottom dollar as they say in london that uh they're probably still scouting out uh some poor unfortunate soul to acquire and so there you go so obviously saudi arabia savvy games group they've already invested heavily well not heavily they've already invested as upstate you know 8.1 that's that's heavily 8.1 percent embracer i think my guess is that percentage, that $1 billion that they invested last year was probably just enough money to get someone on the board so that they can have a decision maker at the table over at Embracer. And that this other $2 billion would have been, you know, would have given them a pretty large controlling share of the company, basically, had they done that. I guess they pulled out. Who knows why? Because they didn't believe in Embracer. Things are kind of going south for Embracer or because they wanted to use those funds to invest in something else. Who knows? Ubisoft, I'm looking at you. Here's hoping that they don't go after you next. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is this is a growing concern. It's getting worse and worse. This, the Saudi Arabian government is trying to diversify their economic portfolio because they're too reliant on oil. And that, in theory, is not a bad thing. If they were a government worth showing any slight shred of dignity and respect for, I'd be like, yeah, I get it. You got to do what you got to do to protect your country and keep and keep the money flowing. Uh, but they're they're kind of just the worst, and they're currently partnering up with the USA to murder innocent people and steal millions of U.S. tax dollars. Well, not steal, because technically the U.S. government is just gladly giving it away to help genocide people in Yemen and blow American hard-earned tax dollars on funding wars that none of us want to freaking be involved in. And uh, the Saudi government's getting wealthier and wealthier by investing really smartly, really, really intelligently so, in entertainment mediums that are quite lucrative like i don't know video games it's funny how the saudi arabian, arabian government can recognize that gaming is a legitimate uh, business revenue while most of the u.s is still just like when are you gonna grow up and stop playing video games and be a normal adult and sit on your ass and watch netflix and so we're, we're still trying to get over that hurdle while these guys are gonna make make billions of dollars off of freaking fortnite uh from investing in things like epic so there there you go that's that's the awesome world we get to live in uh but yeah i mean obviously i'm happy this this money eventually fell through and it's a little bit of a bittersweet situation because this savvy games group still has a lot of money invested in embracer and embracer is now in a really really rough spot so uh, embracer that's a whole other giant you know we could get into where it was hard to think that embracer was ever going to work because they just keep growing and growing and growing and the kinds of games they're putting out are very double a games and don't get me wrong i love that there's a company out there bringing back things like like uh destroy all humans and such but it's just these are the kinds of games that aren't going to make you buku bucks and they keep growing and acquiring new publishers and new developers and growing and growing and growing and investing all this money in new game development but they don't have these games releasing that are going to make back the kind of money they need to make 
in order to justify the operations costs, to own all these studios, to own all these offices, to employ all these developers across all these different teams all around the world, and to pay for these these buildings that have these crazy leases and all the health insurance it costs to to provide for the for these for these employees and just the astronomical cost of operating something as big and out of control as Embracer Group. It just it's it's egregious. It's expensive as all hell, and they just the money is is just not there. They would have to be releasing games that make money like like freaking like Grand Theft Auto or Call of Duty or Fortnite in order to justify the operations costs that they've incurred through all the growth they've they've experienced over the years. So they're kind of in a bad spot and they want that investment money to help inject new life into the company and keep them going. But they they didn't get that money. And so now they're going to have to restructure. And what we're going to have to see Embracer do, and this isn't me hoping this happens, this is just the inevitable future of this, is Embracer is going to restructure dramatically. Hundreds, if not thousands of people are going to lose their jobs. Some of these co- uh, companies are going to be folded, and they're going to basically just keep the, the cream of the crop devel- developers they have and then just hold all the IP that they've acquired through all these different teams and publishers they've, they've purchased over the years. So they're going to have a bunch of really valuable IP. They're going to have a handful of really good development teams and a lot of other people are going to lose their jobs. And then they're going to probably do a lot more of the stuff we've been seeing them do with like, with like uh, Tomb Raider, which is just, Hey, we have developers, but instead of having them make it, Amazon, you pay us and you get to use our IP and just license out, pimp out their, their own properties. That's what they're going to have to do. It's sickening because I mean this is I mean, this is the company that owns the the, the Tolkien estate, the Lord of the Rings uh, rights. It's just it's it's disgusting. It's absolutely disgusting that um a literary, profound literary uh, contributor and artist such as such as J.R.R. Tolkien, who's long gone, long past, is is his legacy, the the, the contributions he made to humanity are going to live on with a European conglomerate that can't keep its shit together and is getting is getting seedy investment money from a corrupt country and government that is funding a war in Russia, genociding the people of Yemen and beheading its own people who come out as gay. We're talking about a freaking country where women can't show their faces and and I I know a lot of like modern social attitude towards these, these kinds of retorts from westerners is like well you're being bigoted you're not respecting other cultures cultures and other countries and I, I gotta say if it makes me bigoted or intolerant to say fuck saudi arabia fuck bin salman fuck the this culture and their everything about them that allows them to behave and operate in a way where you could be beheaded for being gay or women can't go out and show their fucking hair and faces that's six for me uh and uh men are this just de facto superior being over others just i'm i'm sorry i will never i will never stand for that and that's that's no slight to the people of saudi arabia i'm sure there are wonderful individual humans who live in and are from saudi arabia and to that i i say I'm sorry that that's the world you have to live in and that that's the world you've been brought into because I'm sure you're better than that. Much like how when we talk about China, it's like I have no no gripe with the people of China. I'm sure China is a country full of many wonderful people who just so happen to have been born into a country ruled by an absolute dog shit government. And that's not to say that we in the U.S. don't have an absolute dog shit government as well. Uh, it's just to say that somehow... <laughs> <laughs> your situation's even crappier than ours and and uh I, I don't know it's just I, I don't I don't want to see 
an effort like the PIF succeed. I don't want to see them get their disgusting, filthy blood money invested all over video games because you know what? Video games are a beautiful, wonderful art form that that are diverse and that celebrate artistic ideas and minds and are accepting of all and allow people. And, and this isn't just about like the obnoxious um, freaking like post-2016 social kind of environment of just like, oh, wow, purple hair and gay rights. Like this isn't any of that stuff either. This is just on the most base level. Video games, it's a beautiful art form. You can be anyone from any background, regardless of any setback, and you can love video games, you can create video games, you can contribute to video games, you can you can share your love of them, you can create, you can be anything you want and enjoy this medium. And video games is a great place for people to come and explore and learn themselves and share their passions and their loves. And I just don't want intolerant, disgusting, seedy, ass-backwards governments getting their filthy, disgusting money intertwined in our medium that is so much better. We we are morally higher than Saudi Arabia. We are morally higher than Tencent and the Communist Party of China. And I just don't want their social toxicity. I don't want their money. I don't want their corporate greed getting involved in our medium. We already have enough problems as it is, okay? We got battle passes and loot boxes to deal with, okay? We don't need this other crap in addition to that, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So if... if, if Listen, if you're going to be a government that beheads people for being gay, if you're going to be a government that thinks that women are less of humans than men, if you're going to be from a government that tries to prop up a Russia that is invading another country right now, then all I can say is fuck you, hope you burn in hell, keep your fucking money out of my my Super Mario Bros. That's all I got to say, man, okay? Still think Rosalina? A little attractive. It's kind of weird, I know. She's kind of attractive. I know she's an animated character. You tell me all those Lumas, not even one of them. I mean, not even one of them is calling her mommy kind of in an ironic way. You know what I'm saying? She, They all call her mama. I played Super Mario Galaxy. I know what happens. I read the freaking storybook. If you go in the library in the hub world, you can read the storybook. The little star Lumas, they call her mama, but she's so pretty. There's got there's something there's something to it, man. All right, let's move on before I get uh <laughs> before I get two strikes from Xbox for calling the Mario character pretty. All right, let's wrap up this news with a little bit of Xbox Game Pass news. New games coming to leaving the service. Let's let's get into that real quick. So uh, by coming soon, I mean available now because as of the day this podcast goes live, Firewatch is making its return back to Game Pass. I like this game a lot. I don't know why people have issues with this game. I think this game is pretty good i understand the ending's a little divisive but if you've never played firewatch i think it's a really good two to three hours of your life definitely worth playing if if not the whole game at least play the opening because the first 15 minutes of overwatch probably one of the best probably top 10 openings of in video game history firewatch is a little bit like the pixar movie up where it's like the opening scene is so darn good and the rest of the movie is fine uh, Firewatch, Firewatch, I'd say overall Firewatch is better than Up, whereas I think the middle and the end is 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 more engaging. Uh, but yes, especially that oh that opening, that's so so good. Um, it was one of those video, it's one of those moments playing Firewatch for the first time. The, those opening fifteen minutes was one of those moments in gaming where I was like, I didn't know you could do that. I didn't know that was pot. I didn't like. I didn't know you could use creativity in that way. And so. I love that game. I know it's a little bit divisive, but I think Firewatch is pretty good. So 
Maybe give that a go if you haven't already played it. Texas Chainsaw Massacre, we already talked about it. Day one Game Pass title, it's out this Friday. And then Sea of Stars is out August 29th. That's a day one Game Pass game as well. This is one that you might want to pay attention to. Turn-based RPG game. There's a little bit of buzz going around about this game. It's kind of a Chrono Trigger-inspired JRPG-style game. So if you're into those kinds of things or you're lamenting the fact that we don't get access to Final Fantasy games here on Xbox, this might be a game worth checking out for you. And then uh, Gris, Gris, Gris is coming back on September 5th. I thought that was on Game Pass before, mate. Was it? It's on It's on Game Pass starting September 5th, so you can play that. No offense, Gris, but uh, I assume we're all going to be pretty busy with Starfield on September 5th, but good luck to you anyway. And then uh, a couple games leaving Game Pass. So on August 31st, at the end of this month, the following titles will leave Game Pass, so download them now, save 20%, or play them before they're gone because you, you won't get to play them after that. So Black Desert is leaving, Commandos 3 is leaving, Immortality is leaving, Nuclear Throne. I thought Immortality just came to Game Pass. Surgeon Simulator 2 is leaving, and then lastly... My beloved Tinykin is leaving Game Pass on August 31st. That's one year, so that was clearly a one-year Game Pass deal. If you have not played Tinykin, please, for the love of God, play that. If you're on Xbox and you don't have access to Nintendo uh, Switch and you're looking at Pikmin 4 going, darn, I wish I could play that Pikmin 4, play Tinykin. It's very, very good. It's not exactly like like Pikmin, but it's, it's very good, so give that a go. But, yeah, that's it for all of our news this week. You guys, quick, let's jump into the important enough news. Stories important enough to make the podcast not important enough to make their own discussions, warrant their own discussions. So we've got a couple here to round off. Let's start with Assassin's Creed. Ubisoft has brought forward Assassin's Creed Mirage's release date by one week. Originally uh, planned for October 12th. It's now coming out October 5th. So if you want to play the latest Assassin's Creed game, look at that. You just got bumped up a little bit. Next up, Xbox console-exclusive Stalker 2 Hard of Chernobyl could be set for release before the end of the year, according to a distributor listening, listing. Spotted by VGC contributor Andrew uh, Marmo, uh, distribution, distributor play, play on, play on has updated the listing for Stalker 2 with a release date of December 1st. Since it's December 1st and that lands on a Friday this year, there's um, speculation that that's maybe more than just a placeholder, because usually the placeholder date would be something like December 31st. It's usually the last day of the year, so or the last day of the month, so it sounds like it's not a placeholder date. Maybe it's actually happening. Maybe we get news at Gamescom about this, since after all it is a European game. Who knows? So, you know, we're going to see this playable at Gamescom next week, so... Hopefully we get some good news. Maybe it comes out December 1st. That'd be pretty exciting news. Next up, as expected, this year's call. Oh, no, we already talked about that. Let me erase that. Sorry about that. Uh, next up, long-running MMO action game DC Universe Online is coming to Xbox Series X. The long-running game, um, yeah, it's been on every Xbox platform. I, I, well, I think When did that come out? The end of the 360 years or something? But yeah, now it's going to be on, on Xbox Series X. So comes out this holiday season. So stay tuned for more on that if you're a fan. Uh, after that, Untitled Goose Game and Firewatch publisher Panic have announced its first ever digital games showcase. The Portland, Oregon-based company, which is also behind the play, uh, play date handheld, plans to reveal games publishing roadmap during their Panic Game showcase on August 29th. The 20-minute video presentation will be at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. Ubisoft, next up, Ubisoft veteran writer and narrative designer Drew Holmes has been put in charge of the Far Cry IP. Holmes, who previously served as narrative lead for the franchise, shared the news on his LinkedIn page, revealing that he's been promoted to IP director for Far Cry. Uh, at, at Ubisoft, um, Holmes previously served as the lead story on 2019's Far Cry New Dawn, 2018's Far Cry 5, and before that, he worked as a lead writer for Irrational Games' Bioshock Infinite. He worked on the first three Saints Row games at Volition. So quite a good quite a good resume there, working on some pretty notable games. Uh, according to the press reports earlier in the year, Ubisoft's currently developing a Far Cry 7 as a standalone Far Cry multiplayer game. 
or sorry, and a standalone Far Cry multiplayer game, although no official word's been put out on those. Uh, we got two more quick ones. Next up, Jeff Keighley has provided an update on his flagship show, Gamescom Opening Night Live, which is going to take place on August 22nd. The host and producer said that viewers should expect mostly updates on already announced games over the next 12 months that are coming out rather than uh, new game announcements. So just to temper expectations, last year's show ran for just over two hours and featured more than 35 games. So expect a lot of updates, but maybe not as many new game announcements. And finally... VGC relays that TMNT The Last Ronin has gotten a teaser trailer. The game was announced a while back, but now we got a teaser trailer for it, which doesn't show a whole lot, but it is worth mentioning. The game's being developed by Black Forest, the team, and will be published by THQ Nordic, which is Embracer Group. Uh, Black Forest is most well-known for their Destroy All Humans remakes that they've been doing as of late. The quote on the trailer says, From the minds and creators of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and based on the best-selling comic book series event by Eastman Walt Bishop Delgado and Escorza Brothers, I don't know what any of that means, the official video game adaptation of TMNT, The Last Ronin, uh, and that's how they introduced the trailer. The Last Ronin is currently in development for Xbox hardware and PC or just Series S and S, no S Xbox One, so sorry, Xbox One. But yeah, the teaser trailer's out. Remember, this is the TMNT game that they're saying is like, it's like God of War Combat TMNT. It's kind of like a little bit more mature God of War style TMNT game. I'm very curious to see that game. I feel like I could be into that. I just saw the new TMNT movie a few weeks back, and I thought it was pretty pretty fun as someone who's not super into TMNT. So I'm kind of I'm kind of open minded to this. I feel like I'm in a little bit of a TMNT mood. I'm a little open minded to the IP, and hopefully this game delivers in some fashion. I'm, I'm I'll be looking forward to it. Although this teaser doesn't really show much of anything, so nothing to get too hyped over. Although you can check it out and decide for yourself. But guys, that's gonna do it for all of our news. Let's round out the podcast now with our final segment, which is of course the comments. Go on over to YouTube.com, drop a comment on the latest episode of the show, and uh, I'll read it on the show. You can say nice things like Jesse. You're dumb. You can say mean things like, Jesse, you're smart. And no matter what you say, I will read it because I'm desperate for your comments. And then don't forget why they're there to subscribe to the show, leave five-star reviews, and tell your friends, Xbox On. It's not the best podcast, but it is a podcast. Kicking us off this week, Timothy Rezer, Rezer, still screwing up your name. Sorry, Timothy. Says, love that all of all the things you've censored, you draw the line at the C-U-N, you know what word. Also, your random hypothetical examples are the best part of the podcast. So, hope this podcast delivers then, Timothy. Thank you so much for writing in. I Cronky wrote in, Mr. Cronky, who is in Montana right now for reasons unknown, says, I find that I play classic games more than new games on my Xbox. So, backwards compatibility is actually the most important feature to me. I also know that that puts me in the minority of gamers, but... Man, I hate Sony for this. So many good PS1, 2, and 3 games that are out there that are basically just inaccessible. They are getting better, but with the FPS boosts and all that jazz on Xbox, PS5 just feels like an inferior console in this regard. Sam Torres even responds to that and says, I agree, PS1 and 2 games should have been able to run on PS4 just to keep up. Who thinks that their old PS2 under the bed is going to work forever? And I concur with all you guys i if over time i feel like if you if you listen to this podcast for a while you, you've you've been able to actually observe me kind of transform from that guy who was like backwards compatibility is a really nice feature but it's not all that important because at the end of the day 99 percent of people are just playing the latest and greatest games i've gone from that mindset to like 
I'm shocked how much I use backwards compatibility. Like, think about it, like I've been think about like notable games I've been chatting like just chatting about nonstop lately. Like freaking, I just played Homefront: The Revolution. I played Dead Space for the first time last fall, and, and things like this. And these are all these old Xbox 360, Xbox One games and stuff. And I played I played Splinter Cell again earlier this year, an OG Xbox One game, like original Xbox, and. I played a bunch of Black Ops 2 a few weeks back when that was, you know, fixed. The online matchmaking was fixed on that. And it's just, I get so much mileage out of backwards compatibility. I play so many older Xbox games and just get so much enjoyment out of playing the old catalog of Xbox titles that it's it's impossible for me to now go back and think of a world where Xbox doesn't have backwards compatibility and or a world where... I primarily play on PlayStation and just accept that I don't have access to all the great because that's that's the bigger offense too, right? Is that PlayStation's been around longer than Xbox, so it has more history, has more games that need to be preserved and brought forward. Like the PS1 generation is archaic compared to the technology of the PS5. And for those games to just slowly diminish and be lost to history because Sony's too fucking lazy to see the value in bringing those games forward, like that is an utter shame. Because I'm not saying this as like a way of saying I hate PlayStation, Xbox is better. I'm saying this as a way of of mentioning that PlayStation's great. PlayStation has really, really great games that deserve to be preserved and remembered and accessible to new players and for classic players that want to go back and re-experience those titles. So to to withhold this from players, it is an absolute disgrace to the people who create these games. It's a disgrace to the people who want to play these games. It's a disgrace to the people who would love to play these games, but will never know that they want to play these games because you're making them inaccessible. And it's also a disgrace uh, to your own history and past. And that's just, that's, that's so sad. Um, now, of course, I'm not to be completely ignorant of what's going on over on PlayStation. I know with their new subscription tiers that they kind of bring back some old PSP and PS1 and PS2 games a little bit. From time to time, they're slowly doling them out, kind of Nintendo-style a little bit. It's not good enough. I think you should be able to just play pretty much all these games like you're able to do on Xbox. But hey, it's a start. It's better than absolutely nothing. But they still got a long ways to go, especially with PS3, where PS3, there's no way to experience PlayStation 3 games other than to stream them. That's ridiculous. So, hey, they've made progress. Hopefully this only gets better and better over time, but they Sony deserves to be berated and harassed over this until they do something about it. I don't mean go find an individual who works at Sony and threaten to hurt him. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm just saying the vague, ambiguous, nondescript Sony as an entity deserves to take heat for the way they've handled backwards compatibility. That is not me condoning or <laughs> acknowledging that we should uh, rag on individuals who work for companies because that's 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 just not acceptable. But Sony as an entity, yes, I can I condemn that behavior or inaction that they've displayed and or exhibited. Anyway, Compassionate Choice LLC writes in, you guys, it's been a minute. He says, hey, everyone, I've been dormant, but I am still lurking in the shadows. Good, I like my listeners lurking in the shadows. That's what I prefer. I like them, I like them draped in cloth. Uh, lurking in the shadows and snarling. So I hope that's what you've been doing. He says, congratulations to Jesse and everyone else on the new home purchases. I guess there is an influx of home purchasing on this podcast. Probably the biggest things we will ever buy in our minuscule lifetimes. Well said. I personally am teeming with the excitement for the release of Starfield and have been trying to finish Red Dead Redemption 2's campaign. In the meantime, I personally am unsure about Atlas Fallen unless a friend decides to do co-op with me. Although Immortals of Avium looks a bit more my speed. Any good 
or sorry, and good on you for talking up Trader Joe's. I completely forgot how good their frozens are and subsequently rushed over there last week to restock my freezers. Well, God bless. Glad I could remind you to fight the good fight. And uh, yeah, man, Immortals of Avium. I forget that one's about to come out too. It looks damn good, but it's just, it's coming out too close to Starfield. What can you do about it? But yeah, man, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited for you that you're finishing up Red Dead Redemption 2. Man, see it through the end because there are, I won't spoil any of the specific details, but I will just say this. The game has two endings. Both of them are amazing. The first one will make you cry. The second one will make your jaw drop and just make you think. It's it's one of those it's one of those moments in storytelling, whether it's a good book, a good movie, it doesn't matter. Red Dead Redemption 2's ending, the actual ending, 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 is is just one of those, it's just it says so much with so little. There's it's very little voice acting, very little dialogue. It's just action. And if you played Red Dead Redemption 1 and Red Dead Redemption 2, listen, I get it. The first game is like 25 hours long. The second game is like 40 hours long. I get it. It's a big time sink. It's a big commitment. I'm saying this as someone who generally hates long video games, who can't commit to Persona because I don't have 99 hours to spare on a game. It is worth every single second to see both of these games through from beginning to end in order play one finish it play two finish it that ending one of the greatest endings i've ever experienced in storytelling history not video game history storytelling history so good just it's one of those like i will i will be like sitting in traffic driving home honk honk can we move any faster i hate this traffic i4 you suck i'll be sitting there in traffic on the i4 and then the ending of red dead redemption 2 will just come to my mind and i'll think about it for a minute i'm like Ah, ah, shit. And then the guy next to me will be like, are you okay? Do you need help? Do you want me to call AAA? I'll be like, no, I just forgot about how good Red Dead Redemption 2's ending is, and it hurts. And he goes, ah, ah. And then he starts screaming. I'm like, are you okay? Do you need me to call AAA? And he goes, no, you just reminded me how good the ending of Red Dead Redemption 2 is, and it hurts to think about. And then, like, the whole highway is just, it's just lit up with people going, ah, ah, because we're all thinking about it because it's so good, man. It's just if I were trying to say bad words, uh, which I know I've said a few this podcast, but I'm trying to limit it, I would say the F-U-C, you know what word right now, because, man, that game is, that's some profound stuff right there. Anyway, thank you for writing Compassion Choice. I hope you enjoy it. I hope you see it through to the end, and very much looking forward to Starfield myself. We will see you all out there in the stars, gamers. But we're not done just yet, because we do have three more comments, starting with none other than Sam Frito, formerly known as Sam Torres. TBD, known as... Uh, Sam Isonator, maybe he's the Isonator, he brings ice to all the boys and girls who are overheated, I don't know. Jesse, when I'm hanging out in my back compact game closet, <laughs> separated by the, separated from the world by a fake wall of lame Scott toilet paper left over from the pandemic, I'm completely happy Xbox chose uh, to favor keeping classic games alive. If I've learned anything from generations two through seven of gaming, searching for old Airwalk shoeboxes, I keep loose carts and controllers for my old older systems blows. Let me read that part again. Searching for the old Airwalk shoebox, I keep loose carts and controllers for older game systems blows. There we go. We are lucky as Xbox gamers. We have a few uh, We have a few other problems, but finding a way to screw off in Saints Row 1, 2, and 3 ain't one of them. Red Dead Redemption 1 has been playable for years, and if God loves Xbox like I do, it'll be there for decades. 
Hope, sorry, have fun on your Disney cruise. You deserve it. Hope you find that new reason to appreciate Disney hospitality. The family and I saw Disney Sea this summer, and it was incredible. Waited years to make the trip, and it was really worth it. Well, Sam, that's my favorite comment because talk about all the good things. Uh, funny, well written as always, and yes, I I agree. Backwards compatible. I mean, this is it reinforces what I was just saying, and and says it to greater effect, which is backwards compatibility has really helped cement. It's 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 it was really savvy and smart of Xbox to get into it when they did in the in those years earlier years of the Xbox one, because what it's really done is it's really built out the Xbox ecosystem in a way that even if there are times where maybe Xbox's lineup looks a little weak compared to the competition, it's hard to get out of that Xbox ecosystem when you're so tied to all the backwards compatibility. Now, they got to keep good games coming in order to make people want to continue to invest in future generations. But if you are already on the Xbox ecosystem, it's just that much harder to ever leave it, knowing that you have access to all the great, great games that uh, that Xbox has from OG Xbox up through today. But uh, yeah, oh, dude, thank you. Very much looking forward to my Disney cruise next week. Uh, it's it's the only thing I have right now to live for, aside from Starfield and uh, whatever I buy at Aldi next. Hopefully some, uh, some other discount knockoff food. But uh, dude, shout out to you and your family. You saw Disney Sea. For anyone who uh, anyone who knows anything about Disney knows, Tokyo Disneyland Resort, Disney Sea in particular, that is that's the mecca of Disney World. That is the dream. If you're a Disney fan, the goal is to at one point in your life make it out to Tokyo, go to Tokyo Disneyland, and see Tokyo Disney Sea, the theme park. That is the uh, the what if the Walt Disney Company cared enough to really let Imagineers run wild with all their amazing ideas and execute the way that they're capable of doing so. If only we had that kind of uh, that kind of care and trust and financial commitment here in the states, maybe Walt Disney World could be as good as Disneyland, which is a really weird thing to have to admit that the the big bad version that people come from all over the world to experience is less good than the one in California and the one in Tokyo. But nonetheless, it's all good. Still love Disney World. Still love you, Epcot, even though you're an absolute crapshoot mess and. I love you, Animal Kingdom, even though they're probably going to destroy you next. And, hey, I love you, Disney's Pop Century Resort. Tie-dye cheesecake, you never get old. So thank you for writing, Sam. Congrats to you and your family on, honestly, the vacation of a lifetime. Appreciate the kind words. Thank you for writing in. And I hope that uh, the Xbox gods bestow upon you one of those Ninja Turtle controllers that smells like pizza, because why not? You deserve it. Mike Clark writes in and says, Great show as always. Thanks again. Man, Xbox just keeps doing Xbox things. Forza missing features, and and BG3, Boulder's Gate 3, will be on Switch 2 by the time it lands on Xbox. Funny. Uh, they either don't care about consoles, it's a loser financially, uh, or they still don't understand that part of the business. I hope Stalker 2 hits in December. Uh, Halo Infinite is actually pretty good. Just ignore the story. Uh, I, I like the story. I just, I just ignore the, st- you, I ignore the fact that the story is not a continuation of the game before it, but the story on its own is pretty good in my opinion. Uh, but yeah, man, I, I don't know. I, I've seen a little bit of the, the Forza kerfuffle going on with certain features not being there at launch, but my understanding is that this is a pretty common occurrence for Forza that a lot of features aren't there at launch and they kind of come over the course of the first six months to a year of the game. Not that I'm saying that that's an excusable or acceptable thing, but it seems like that is pretty par for the course with these Forza Motorsport games. I wouldn't know. I really don't play a whole lot of Forza Motorsport. I last one I played ex- extensively was Motorsport five. Uh, I dabbled in six and I don't even think I ever played seven. Um, but anyway, uh, I, I don't know, man. I, I, <sighs> Xbox gets it so right in so many ways, and then they get it so wrong in others. 
they're gonna they're gonna have to either throw some serious talent over to what is it, Larion, to help them with Boulder's Gate three and get that thing running on this on the Series S, or they're gonna have to give up on their their mandate that all games that come to Series X have to run on Series S because Boulder's Gate three seems to be crushing it, and by them not having it on Xbox, they're in it. You know, they're they're incidentally giving PlayStation another platform exclusive, even though they don't have to be. So it's definitely not a good look, and you are right about that. And our final comment of the week comes from Wes H, who says, Something about Xbox, man. Gotta love them for being the underdog. I know it's sort of out of context, but man, Sony's pretentious. Well, I don't, mm, yes and no. I mean, Sony's gone through moments where they've been the underdog and they've been super exciting. Xbox has gone through moments where they've been pretentious. I mean, look at most of the 360 generation. Xbox was kind of annoying and Sony was kind of the underdog. So it can, it can flip and flop, although it's predominantly always, the ball's predominantly been in Sony's court. Uh, but just, I mean, keep in mind, if, it, if the tables were turned, if Xbox was crushing it, they, they'd be the pretentious assholes. They probably wouldn't be investing as heavily in things like backwards compatibility if they were crushing PlayStation right now. So it's just something to keep in mind. But yeah, I, I do I do agree that ever since the Xbox One years, it has been just a little extra fun being an Xbox fan because there's just something a little more personal, relatable, and just kind of fun about rooting for the underdog and being a part of that, even though in this case, the underdog is a segment of one of the biggest, baddest companies in the history of humanity. But, but I, I understand as Xbox fans, purely just speaking from the perspective of fans of the Xbox brand, there is definitely something to be said about kind of the added communal effect in the, in the kind of ownership and pride that it, you feel and just being like, I know people give me crap all the time. Xbox is dumb. Why don't you have a PS5? You're not going to get to play Spider-Man 2, this and that. But, like, I don't know. Xbox is like the little engine that could in some ways. Like, there's no reason why Xbox should even continue to stick around with them. But they do, and we all we all love the brand and continue to support it anyway, despite shortcomings. And and when they win or when they when they get a win, it's it's always just all the more exciting. So I think we're about to experience one of those things with Starfield shortly. But anyway, I appreciate you writing in, Wes, and I appreciate all you guys for writing in. So how did I do? I think I ended up with like six or seven curse words, maybe a little bit more. But I think that's better than usual. I'll try to continue to work on that. Um, just I don't know, just don't want to be so reliant on curse words. It's just not that you know. We don't, why do we have to be that way? Why well, I say curse words when we could say uh, Fred Fred Durst words. I guess that's Limp Biscuit lyrics or something. I don't know. But that's going to do it for our podcast this week, you guys. Next week, we got some Gamescom news to talk about. And then the week after that, it's Starfield, baby. So I think the slow weeks are behind us now. It's time to ramp things up again and get into the most exciting time of this year for Xbox. And I'm very much looking forward to it, you guys. Thank you all so much for being here and for supporting the show. Appreciate it as always. Look forward to seeing any and all feedback that you can provide. Love the comments. Love engaging with you guys. And uh, until next week, have a great week. Take care. Be very safe and eat delicious food. And if you want to save some money while doing it, there's always Aldi. Until next week, power your dreams. Uh